0: everyone and welcome to episode 25 of the Luna's Galaxy podcast. My name is Emmy, but you can also call me Luna and I'll be the host of this show. Luna's Galaxy podcast goes live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcast services on Tuesday every two weeks. For this episode, we have four segments, gaming news, what I've been playing, questions, and our topic of the show, which is my personal I, the Somnium Files, Nirvana initiative review and a spoiler cast so the structure of this episode is going to be a bit different so we'll start off with gaming news and then go into what i've been playing like usual but then after that how this is going to shake up is i'm going to give my spoiler free review of i the somnium files nirvana initiative Um, just kind of my general thoughts impressions no spoilers in that section of the show and then after that we're going to go into spoilers so after that we'll do the question segment because I asked you guys your thoughts on Nirvana Initiative. And a lot of them are spoilery. So I figured we'll get the spoiler-free review out of the way. And then we will get into what you guys had to say about Nirvana Initiative. And then I will give my sort of spoiler cast on my thoughts about Nirvana Initiative. So hopefully that hopefully that works out. I think it will. Um, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> so wish me luck. We don't have much gaming news this week. Because... I tried to keep it down and luckily nothing big happened because I knew that I would talk about Nirvana Initiative a lot. So that's going to be the bulk of this episode. But (laughs) before we get started, if you would like to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or give me a five star rating on Spotify, I would very much appreciate it. Also, be sure to like, comment and subscribe on YouTube if you have not already. I really, really appreciate that as well. But we also, you might have noticed, <laughs> that the Luna's Galaxy podcast has some new podcast art. So thank you so much, my very wonderful friend at Ambidex Cube on Twitter. She made this for me. So kind. <laughs> um, I actually was not expecting this at all. She just reached out to me and was like, "Hey, um, I'm working on some graphic design. I want to like improve." can I do this for your podcast? And I was like, of course you can. And it's so pretty. I really like it. I hope you guys like it as well. Uh, It's so good. And, you know, it's definitely a step up from the previous (laughs) Luna's Galaxy cover art that I just kind of haphazardly made on Canva a year ago. And so I'm very, very happy with this new art. I hope you guys also really enjoy it. It's so much prettier and like professional looking and oh, it's so good. I really love it. I hope you guys enjoy it too. And I also find like the colors and stuff kind of go with like my Twitch overlay as well. I find it just, it just, it mushes better together and I really, really like it. And I hope you guys do too. So thank you. Thank you so much at AmbidexCube on Twitter, my wonder, wonderful friend. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm very happy with this. I hope you guys enjoy it as well. But anyway, okay, let's get into the gaming news. So this isn't really gaming news, (laughs) but it's big news for me. And this actually happened, I want to say, like, the day that the last podcast episode came out, or the day after or something, but, like, it happened after I had recorded. But this is more just personal news on my end, so... (laughs) As some of you probably know, I streamed my entire first playthrough of I, The Somnium Files, Nirvana Initiative on Twitch. It was so much fun. Thank you so much to everyone that was there. I had a blast and I am currently working on a highlight video for that as well. And all the vods are on YouTube as well, if you want to check that out or anything. But the news, (laughs) so I had tweeted at Uchikoshi, Kotaro Uchikoshi, director Uh, The ZeroScape series scenario writer for both of the iGames, etc, etc. One of my favorite people. Probably my biggest sort of inspiration in, like, the gaming industry. Definitely look up to him a lot. Love his work. (laughs) I'm sure you guys know this. But, so I just tweeted at him asking, like, a random question about Nirvana Initiative. And his reply, I'm not going to go into, like, actual answer to that question because it is a bit spoilery and just not really related. But after he had tweeted me that, um, he tweeted at me again. There's like a little thread. <laughs> and Uchikoshi, a uh, scenario writer of I, The Somnium Files, Nirvana Initiative, said that he watched my final stream of I, The Somnium Files, Nirvana Initiative, and that he loved, he loved it. He enjoyed it. Um, He could tell how passionate I was (laughs) about Zero Escape and about I, the Somnium Files and his work. And he could really feel the emotional ups and downs (laughs) that I went through playing that game. And he even went so far. So Uchikoshi actually didn't direct I, the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative. He just did the scenario writing. He kind of took a step back on this project. And so he actually ended up tagging the director of I, the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative. and was like, hey, you got to watch this. <laughs> and he like linked the Twitch bod. Oh, it was so funny. And he called me pretty as well. Um, <laughs> because I, spoiler, not really spoiler alert, my personal, anyway, it's not a spoiler. Um, but I cried a bit. On, during my playthrough of Nirvana Initiative and Uchikoshi saw it <laughs> and he added when he added the director he was like oh you what a sinful man you made a pretty girl cry or something like that and I was just like oh my god like is this real like you know I've been a huge fan of Uchikoshi's works ever since I played 999 so many years ago now at this point point." And so, you know, I've really looked up to him. I really love his work. He's my favorite video game director, writer, et cetera, et cetera. And it, w- it was just really cool. Like, like, you watched me? Like, you you watched and enjoyed my content? So, Uchikoshi, if you are listening, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it, was, it was just so cool. You know, I never, I never expected that to happen. So... Man, it was just, it's really cool to think that, like, one of your favorite people has watched and enjoyed your content of, like, you reacting to their work. (laughs) It it was just really cool. So, I had to mention that. That was just such a special moment for me. So. And he called me pretty. (laughs) So, thank you for the confidence boost, Uchikoshi. But anyway, let's get into some real gaming news. So PlayStation Plus lineup for August has a lot of Yakuza and this is for all the PlayStation Plus tiers. So for PlayStation Plus Essential, which is, you know, your usual stuff where you get free games every month, we have Yakuza Like a Dragon is coming to PlayStation Plus Essential. And so I have mixed feelings on this. I am going to redeem it, but my thing is that I've been getting all the Yakuza games physically. I don't know why. Um, It's just... I don't know. I ended up getting all the games physically, and I wanted to continue that pattern. I didn't want to get any of them digitally. I wanted to get them physically. But now that, because I don't have Like a Dragon yet, and that is, you know, a digital redeem on PlayStation Plus Essential, I'm like, oh god, now I'm not going to get Like a Dragon physically, because, like, why would I buy it again, you know? But uh, I'm just going to rationalize this as, well, I have all of the Yakuza Kiryu game. <laughs> Physically, so you know what? I think I'll I think I'll live with it Um But anyway that I'm, I'm being silly anyway The other PlayStation Plus essential games for August are Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 and Little Nightmares So it's a really solid month for PlayStation Plus essential. I think that that's really cool I'm obviously going to redeem Yakuza like a dragon, and I'm going to play it eventually um, I still haven't finished Yakuza 4 or started Yakuza 4 so It might be a while for me, but really good month, in my opinion. And so then we get into PlayStation Plus Extra and PlayStation Plus Premium. And so if you have PlayStation Plus Extra, you're going to be in Yakuza 0, Kiwami 1, and Kiwami 2, and Yakuza 6. And so these are the games that were at on PS4. And yeah, they're they're like fantastic games. I think that this is fantastic to bring them to PlayStation Plus Extra. Perfect. More people are going to play Yakuza and those games are so good. Now, here's where it gets a bit weird. So PlayStation Plus Premium, which is the tier for like older games, is getting Yakuza 3, Yakuza 4, and Yakuza 5 remastered. And I don't know. I just feel like the semantics of PlayStation Plus Premium are so weird because it's like Yakuza 3, Yakuza 4, and Yakuza 5 remastered are PS4 games. (laughs) Like, I get it. The original Yakuza 3, Yakuza 4, Yakuza 5. I get that they're originally PS3 games, but the remastered collection is only on PS4. So why is it in premium? I don't think it makes that much sense. I think, you know, if they're going to put the original PS3 versions on there, I get it. But it's just so weird. I feel like I'm so confused on what PlayStation Plus Premium actually is, because I feel like those games should just be an extra. It's so weird. I just... And to me, this continues to show how PlayStation Plus Premium is just a fucking mess. I don't know, maybe that's like an unpopular opinion, but it just feels kind of unnecessary and cash grabby to me, where it's like, you're going to pay the highest amount for the lowest amount of value, because at the end of the day, uh, PlayStation Plus Premium has the least amount of content, and I assume it's probably going to stay that way. In comparison to like extra or like essential where you get free games and you know they're not going away um it's just really weird i don't really like playstation plus premium and it might sound weird because i haven't like tried it out myself yet but I like this doesn't incentivize me because it's like i feel like these games should be on extra and i feel like the only reason that they are on premium is because <laughs> they want you to get premium like I think if you put like the original Yakuza and Yakuza 2, maybe that were originally on the PS2, and if you put them on premium, that would be so cool, right? Put the original Yakuza with that, with that iconic English dub, put that on PlayStation Plus premium because, you know, that's not easily accessible for people to play. Whereas Yakuza 3, 4, and 5 Remastered are literally on the PS4 as PS4 games, It's just really weird, and to me, it's like, okay, well, you know, what if Kingdom Hearts comes to PlayStation Plus Extra or Premium, you know? Is that going to be, like, are the HD collections going to be locked behind Premium? (laughs) Because they're all older games? Like, I don't think that would happen. Mostly just because some of those games like Kingdom Hearts 3D are, you know... 3DS games they are like PS1 PS2 games or something but it's like it wouldn't surprise me like if they were all separate I would not be surprised if you saw like Kingdom Hearts 2 on PlayStation Plus Premium and it would be cool right it would be cool if you know Kingdom Hearts 2 is on PlayStation Plus Premium but I'm like what if it was like Kingdom Hearts 2.5 and they put that on PlayStation Plus Premium because it's a PS3 game like it's just so weird to me I don't I don't understand what they're doing. But anyway, let's move on from this. (laughs) Instead of me just being fucking confused. I feel like everyone is confused about the difference between PlayStation Plus Extra and PlayStation Plus Premium. I still think that they should have just been one tier. You know, maybe at a bit of a combined price. So, you know, lesser than Premium, more expensive than Extra. I think that would have been fucking fine. But... What do I know, right? (laughs) What do I know? Anyway. And so, our next news story, Grand Theft Auto 6 will feature a playable female protagonist for the first time. She's a Latina that is one of a pair of leading characters influenced by Bonnie and Clyde. And so I don't have much experience with GTA as a series, but I think that this is cool. And honestly, I think it's shocking that GTA hasn't had um, a female protagonist (laughs) Just because it's such a long, like, long series that's been around for so long. And I know, you know, we haven't gotten a new GTA since GTA Five in, like, 2013, in almost 10 years. So, I kind of get it. But at the same time, like, it's such a big series and franchise. You would think there would have been um, a female main character by now, but there hasn't been. So, I think that this is really cool. And so... I just wanted to talk about it. I feel like I should go back to GTA 5 at some point because I have it on the PS3 and I might but you know, we'll we'll see about that. (laughs) I'm not making any promises, but I feel like I'm like missing out on a lot culturally. You know what I mean? Anyway, and so our next news story, and this might be our last news story as well. (laughs) I'm really trying to zoom through and I've already taken up too much time. So, we are getting some new Mario Kart 8 Deluxe courses, and this is so exciting. They just randomly dropped this, like, on a random day. They, like, you know, it was just, like, on Twitter. Nintendo was like, hey, there's more DLC. <laughs> like, I'm like why didn't you put this in a direct or, you know, do something? Anyway, it's so weird how Nintendo has been doing some things lately. Just, you know, dropping trailers, and it's weird. But anyway, so let's talk about these courses. So the first sort of cup that we have is the turnip cup. And this has New York minute, which is a track from tour. And then we have Mario circuit three, which I mean, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of the Mario circuit courses. But anyway, and then we have calamari desert from N64. And then Waluigi pinball from the DS. And so I never played the DS Mario Kart. Maybe I had I don't know, but I never owned it. And so I don't have much experience with DS, but I've always heard about how good Waluigi Pinball is. And so I'm so excited to play this course because it looks really cool. I love the concept of it. I think it's so cool. And so I'm very excited to play that. Also, Calamari Desert is pretty iconic, I feel like. So that's pretty cool. And then we have the Propeller Cup and this has Sydney Spring, which is another course from tour, Snowland from the GBA, Mushroom Gorge from the Wii, I'm a, I'm a Mario Kart Wii stan. Like I can't lie. <laughs> it was my first Mario Kart game and I just have so many memories of playing Mario Kart Wii in like my living room with like the motion controls with my little Wii wheel. And like I played it with family, it was just so much fun. I love Mario Kart Wii. They could just put every Mario Kart Wii track <laughs> in Mario Kart 8 and I'd be so happy. Even the ones that aren't great, because I'm a Mario Kart Wii stan. Y'all know I love Coconut Mall. But Mushroom Gorge is like another really good one, in my opinion, from Wii. I would prefer to see Maple Tree Way or Koopa Cape. But we still have like so many more tracks, so many more DLC tracks that they have yet to unveil. So I feel like Maple Tree Way and Koopa Cape are probably going to be in there. But Mushroom Gorge is another one that, you know, I think is a cool insert from me. That is, you know, like I said, the one I kind of had the most experience with. And it's, it reminds me of Toad. <laughs> so, so I will be loving that. I will be loving that. I just, if Mushroom Gorge is fun, you like bounce on the mushrooms and like you can go two separate ways. It's it's cool. I like Mushroom Gorge. Anyway, and the last track is Sky High Sunday, which they're saying is a new track, but I think it's, like, coming to tour as well, so it's, like, it just feels like a Mario Kart Tour track that is releasing simultaneously or, like, a bit earlier on, you know, these DLC courses. But anyway, so all of those tracks are coming out on August 4th, so that's very exciting. I'm hoping to do a little community night. It's been a while since I've done a community night on Twitch, and so I think that'll be a lot of fun. We'll play some Mario Kart. We'll get these new courses done. It'll be a good time. So yeah, if you're listening to this when the episode comes out, um, feel free to drop by my Twitch. I'm probably going to be doing a community night for Mario Kart 8 sometime this weekend. What what date is that? Like the 6th? The 5th or the 6th? Yeah, probably the 5th, 6th, or 7th, y'all. I'll keep you updated on Discord. (laughs) But if that sounds fun, just keep an eye on my socials and stuff because I really, I think it's going to be fun. I want to do these new tracks and have a fun community night because it's been a long time. But anyway, that's all I have for news. So let's talk about what I've been playing. So Final Fantasy XIV. I I haven't been playing much of it. Um. <laughs> now, I can't remember if I told you guys this last time, but I have finished base game Um, And I've just been doing, I started doing more main scenario stuff for... After like the patch quest for Heaven's Word, and that's been interesting so far. Um, I'm really enjoying it. But I haven't been playing it as much as I should be, to be honest, but I'll get to it. And I've also been replaying I have Sonya Files Nirvana Initiative. Um I'll go more into detail about that later, but I just I feel like I'm still forming my thoughts about some things and like putting things together and yeah, I'm just replaying I don't know if I'll finish that replay. I want to. But, yeah. So, I've been replaying I have Sony and Initiative. Even though I just finished it. It's fine. I've also still been playing a bit of Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, which is so cute. Such a fun game. And, like, it's one of the cheaper Nintendo Switch games. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think it's cute. I think if you like puzzle games and you just like little toads like me, I think it's fun. And there's, like, different game modes, too, that I really enjoy. Like, there's one where instead of doing like the level, like usual, you have to just like find this little toad that's hidden on the level. Like just little stuff like that, I think is really cute. And then every level sort of has these different challenges that you can do, where it's like find the golden mushroom or like do something a certain way. I think it's fun. I'm enjoying it. I think it's really cute. It's wholesome. It's cozy and it doesn't hurt my brain yet. So (laughs) that's good. But anyway, Let's talk about I, The Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative. So this is going to be my spoiler-free review. So don't worry about spoilers here. These are just some of, you know, spoiler-free thoughts. Mostly, like, gameplay, some general story stuff. But, you know, no spoilers. So if you haven't played I, The Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative yet, if you are at all interested in it, if you haven't finished it yet, whatever, don't worry. This is a safe space. (laughs) So, hopefully, you can enjoy some of my spoiler-free thoughts. So, if, you know, you've been listening to this podcast and you've been following me and you've been wondering, Emmy, what the fuck is I, the Somnium Files? And why don't you stop talking about it? What is I, the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative? I'm going to try my best to, like, kind of explain <laughs> just the sort of plot plot thing of Nirvana Initiative, you know, what's going on? So, I the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative is an unexpected sequel to the critically acclaimed I the Somnium Files. I the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative takes place after the events of the first game and features two new playable main characters, Mizuki and Ryuki. And so, we play as these two main characters along with our AI balls. And so, these AI balls are like little. AIs that are eyeballs <laughs> that go, anyway, they're eyeballs. They're eyeballs that are AIs, okay? Just, just stick with me here. And their names are Aiba and Tama. Aiba was in the first I, Files game. And so we have Aiba and Tama in our eyeballs. <laughs> and they help us as Mizuki and Ryuki to solve the half-body serial killings. And so, Mizuki and Ryuki investigate the half-body serial killings in both the present, so, which is, I'm guessing, February 2026, and then six years ago, which is February 2020, which is only a few months after the events of the first game. I think that is the timeline of things. I'm not 100% sure on the years, but... That is what I am going with. So one really cool thing about I, The Sonium Files Nirvana Initiative is that you don't need to play the first game to get what's going on. Now, of course, I would recommend <laughs> to play the first I, The Somnium Files game because it is so good. Like, genuinely, the story is fantastic. The characters are a lot of fun. I, I highly recommend it. But if for some reason you just want to go right into Nirvana Initiative, you can do that. And there's another reason why, you know, I don't really recommend you do this. So there's actually one really interesting thing about this that I think is really cool is that there's a unique spoiler feature in case you haven't played the first Sonium Files game. And so there's there's something at the beginning of the game where they basically ask you, have you played the first game? Are we allowed to give you spoilers? <laughs> About what happened. And they make it very clear that, you know, the events of the first game don't... Like, they're not intertwined with this game. It's not going to affect how you understand this plot. You're not missing out on lore, really. Um, They make it pretty clear that you don't need any of that. But there are some things... Just some sort of character interactions. Where maybe they'll reference some things that happened in the first game that you wouldn't understand otherwise. Or that would be spoilers. (laughs) And so, basically, if you say that you have not played the first game, some of that dialogue will be taken out. It has no effect on the main plot of Nirvana Initiative. It, it's just like some character building and just some sort of explanations, I guess, relate to the first game. And so you can do that. <laughs> and then you don't have to worry about the first game. You can just go right into it. Now, obviously, I don't recommend that because, like I said, you are missing some stuff, even if it's not directly related to the plot of Nirvana Initiative. It is still... Um, you know, it's it's characters, it's stuff like that where it just, it's more enjoyable, I think, if you have that background going into it. And so I, I really recommend that. I really, really, really recommend that. <laughs> but yeah, you don't technically need to play it to play Bond Initiative. But I think you'll enjoy it a lot more <laughs> if you do. And so you might be wondering, what. Is the gameplay in this game because I've only really talked about the story, and so there's a few different segments of gameplay. And so, Ivasanya and Files Nirvana Initiative is kind of like one of those adventure games, I think is what they're called. It's like a visual novel adventure game, and so it plays very similar to the first game if you have played that already. So, you have investigation segments, which is really sort of like point and click. You know, you're in these areas, then you can, you know, select a character, choose some dialogue options to ask them or talk to them. You can investigate a lot of the different, like, Items in the environment. So, you know, if you're at a restaurant, you can like click on like the stool and maybe there'll be some funny character dialogue about it, or it will literally just say a stool. (laughs) It ranges. And so you can really investigate a lot of the ins and outs, just, you know, pointing and clicking and more visual novel ish than the rest of the gameplay stuff here. And that's always fun. And then you have the Somniums. And you might be wondering, what is a Somnium? (laughs) And so basically, Somniums are when you as a sinker, okay, so Mizuki and Ryuki are sinkers, and this basically means that at their job with Abyss, they're like cops, essentially, oh my god, there's so much to get into here, you can sink with people that you might want to be questioning about the investigation, they could be suspects, you can just be wanting more information out of them, whatever, you can sink with them, and so basically what this is, is that you use the sink machine, <laughs> I feel like I sound crazy right now to someone that, like, hasn't played this game. Anyway, you sync with them, and basically what this is is that you kind of go inside of their dream and investigate segments of their dream, and so obviously dreams are logical. Dreams can be very weird, and so these sections can be very sort of aesthetically interesting where, you know, it's things that wouldn't make sense in the real world, and so there's a lot of creativity that they use in the Somniums that are really enjoyable, but also... It's not really puzzle solving for the most part, but it is just kind of trial and error. But, like, in a fun way, I, I like the Somniums. I know some people don't like the Somniums, at least in the first game. Um, but I really like the Somniums. And so you're basically, you know, sinking into their dream, going inside their dream. And you're playing as your AI ball, controlling them, so Iba or Tama. And you're trying to get more information that can help you to solve these half-body serial killings. <laughs> I hope that made sense. I don't know if it did. Anyway, and there's also so um, there's also the virtual reality investigation segments. And so these are not in the first game. These were added to Nirvana Initiative. And so basically what happens here is you control it similarly to when you're in the Somniums. And so Although, instead of controlling your AI vol, you're controlling Mizuki or Ryuki. And so, you get to wander around an environment and investigate things, essentially. There isn't a time limit like there is Insomnium. I forgot to mention that. If you are sinking Insomnium, there's a six-minute time limit. But it goes longer than six minutes, but, like, not really. Anyway. But these investigation, virtual reality investigation segments don't have a time limit. And you're just investigating, and you can use different... AI ball functionalities and so because these AI balls functionally work as eyeballs they can use like x-ray mode or thermo mode and so you can see you know you can see through shit you can see like temperatures and shit it's wild but it is useful when you are investigating and this wasn't in the first game but I really like the addition because you know stuff like this in the first game would have just been you know that point and click adventure style of gameplay which is fine but I think shaking it up a bit more to have more, you know, more gameplay where you're just walking around and looking at stuff. It's a very small difference, but I think it makes the game better. I really like these virtual reality investigation segments. It just, it feels fun to do something other than just, you know, reading or pointing and clicking. And it's it's a very small addition and it doesn't, you know, shake things up a lot. It's not like huge, but I think it's cool. I I liked it. And also, (laughs) the last bit of gameplay here is there's some QTEs. And I really, I really like QTEs. I know most people don't like QTEs in video games. But I also think in comparison to the first game, the QTEs are a lot better in this game as well as just like the scenes where the QTEs happen. And so There's also more QTEs in this game than the first game, but I enjoyed them. And like I said, kind of similar to the virtual reality investigation bits. It's just fun to kind of spice things up. They're not too demanding. Um, (laughs) I did fail a few of them, but it wasn't because of the time. It was because I, like, clicked the wrong thing. You know, I pressed the wrong button. That was usually what it was because I was rushing. But they're, they're pretty simple to get through, especially if you play on the easier difficulties. So... My first playthrough, I just did, you know, the standard, but now that I'm replaying it, I'm like, I don't have the energy <laughs> to, you know, really test my limits here. Like, when I was going for the Platinum, it was just easier to take the difficulty setting down a bit. And so, like, especially if you're playing on those lower difficulty settings, you will have a pretty fair amount of time for the QTEs. You don't have to rush through them. It's it's good. I liked the QTEs in this game. However... <laughs> back to sort of what, what's the main pull of this game. So I gave you an idea about the gameplay and the story, but like, what's it really about? Like, why is this game so interesting? Give me some more details. What is up? So the main pull of this game and kind of what they were talking about leading up to the marketing of it and the release and what they were telling us around that time. So in my opinion, The big thing about this game is the story and the characters. Rather than the gameplay, it's probably not a surprise. It is more of a visual novel than, you know, it's not an RPG. It's not anything like that. It is very, you know, story-focused and character-focused. But I, I do like the gameplay. I know that's not, you know, the main pull of it. It's not like you're doing a lot of, like, action or combat or even exploring, really. But I still like the gameplay that is there. And I think that that's better than just... If it was, like, a straight visual novel where, you know, you're just reading or... And there is voice acting, by the way. But I I think, you know, having that gameplay in there does make it feel a lot better and fresh and just fun. But, you know, that's not the main pull of the game. That's not why I'm playing the game. I'm not playing the game so I can do Somniums or, you know, point and click or whatever. It's not, you know... But, you know, the story and the gameplay... Not the gameplay, the story and the characters... <laughs> are really good. And so you might be wondering, like I said earlier, half-body serial killings, what the hell is that? So let me try and explain. (laughs) So because both six years ago and in the present, half of a man's body shows up that's been split down the middle. So like I said, there's two timelines in this game. So you have six years ago, which is like 2020, And then you have the present, which is roughly 2026, if I'm correct on that, on that timeline of things. I think I am. Um, And so six years ago, um, (laughs) God, I'm getting myself confused. Six years ago, half of the body is in Studio Divita. And so that's just like a TV studio. Half the body is there of this guy, Jin Furway. And then in the present timeline, 2026, Mizuki finds the other half of the body in a stadium. And so, you know, both six years ago and in the present, the bodies of the same person, Jin Furue, there's no evidence of the body being, like, frozen or anything like that. So it's like, how how does it look like they were both killed at, like, the same, like, <sighs> it's so weird. Okay. So, Aiba, or maybe Tom, both of them, <laughs> both of them confirm for us, and obviously the other investigators and stuff, confirm for us that when ha- half of Jin Furui's body was found six, in the six years ago timeline, when it was found, they say he was killed like nine hours ago or something. And then when you get to the present timeline where Mizuki finds Jin Furui, half of his body in the stadium... IBU confirms for us that his body, like, he's only been dead for, like, you know, six or nine hours or something. It's something like that, but only for a few hours, and so it's, like, how is this one man, <laughs> how is this one man's body, like, um, biologically been killed, like, nine hours ago, even though the other half of the body where he was obviously dead back then was found six years ago. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. He was killed six years ago, not nine hours ago. So how does that make sense? And so, um, that's a bit confusing. (laughs) And so it's, how is that possible? It's madness, right? And so that's kind of like the main hook for the plot is just, how is this even possible, right? And so there's a lot more plot than just this, (laughs) So along with the half-body serial killings, one thing that I found to really be a pull for me in this story was the cultish group a Nize. lots. They call themselves lots, but we're going to shorten it to Gniz. They usually say Gniz in the game. And so this is a cult group that believes that the world is a simulation and... Uh, <laughs> They're very interesting. And if you followed a bit of the Hidden Bats ARG leading up to um, Nirvana Initiative's release, you might be a bit more interested in Nye's and the Bats 490 video or the Freight of Free videos, that type of stuff. I know I felt that way. I was more interested in that side of things than the half-body serial killings, which I think is mostly just because of Hidden Bats to be like completely honest. But I thought that was so cool. And so there's also these really weird videos, the Bats 490 video. That's just they're really weird. I don't know how to describe them. It's like these this weird music plays and you know you just have this weird imagery and like almost like codes. It's really weird. And there's also the Freight of Free video, which is, you know, similar style to Bats 490. And so you know, there's conspiracy theories, there's interpersonal relationship drama, there's plot twists, of course, because it's Uchikoshi you got lovable characters, and there's really so much more to this story. But we'll get into that in the spoiler cast. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that there for the story. I think I think I've given you a good enough question mark hook for the story. I feel like I've done a bad job of explaining it. But if you're into batshit storytelling... <laughs> Maybe you're interested. Or murder mysteries. I know I really like murder mysteries. But anyway. So essentially, my spoiler-free thoughts on the story is it's good. Uh, it's definitely an uchikoshi story with the unpredictable plot twists that have a surprising amount of foreshadowing. When you're replaying it or just kind of thinking back, you're like, oh, but you don't clue in at the time. It's very uchikoshi in that way. There's an intriguing mystery, wonderful characters, really funny dialogue throughout. So if you played the first Iwasanium Files game, you'll know that there's it's just it's a funny game, and you know. I feel like I should probably stop comparing Zero Escape and Eye of the Sonium Files so much. But one way that I like to compare them is that Eye of the Sonium Files feels like a goofy game. Like the overall theme and tone can be, it's goofy like 80% of the time. But then, you know, serious stuff happens. There's a serious plot. Whereas Zero Escape is kind of the opposite of that. Where it feels like, you know, the tone, the feeling of it all is very serious and, you know, more dark. But then there's, like, these really goofy and funny lines where it's, like, interesting. And so I kind of see them as opposites in that way, even though they're very similar. But, you know, the overall tone is very goofy and funny and honestly lighthearted, even though there's, you know, this half-body serial killing. There's a serial killer on the loose. There's these weird videos. There's, like, a cult. There's all this shit going on. But the overall tone of the game manages to be pretty funny. Like, there's always characters cracking jokes, even when it's, like, very serious a lot of the time. And so, it's really fun. There's also some really hype moments, which I I don't know if they really had much of that in the first game. But there was definitely more in Nirvana Initiative where it felt more like, oh, oh my god, like, this is happening. Or, like, more like sort of fan service, I guess. It it was fun. I really loved it. But it's really one of those games that hooks you in so good where you just need to keep playing to see what happens next. And I love that. It's like, I don't know what, how you would phrase this to be about video games, but it's like, you know, when you're reading a book and you just you know, you got to get to the next page essentially. And so that was really cool. <laughs> like when I got towards the end of the game, when I was streaming it, I was like, okay, I need to finish this. And so... I like took a break and then a few hours later I was streaming it again and I had to finish it and I like never do that. (laughs) I think I probably streamed for like over eight hours that day and if y'all know me as a streamer that like rarely happens. I I just I had to know what happened next and you know you get to that point in the story where like okay I need to finish it. Like I don't care how long it takes you know we're just we're gonna go for it and that's that's definitely how I was with the story. Now the storytelling isn't perfect by any means and i do have some issues with it that i will dive into in the spoiler cast but even with those problems it didn't ruin my experience and it didn't like take it down a lot for me you know like i remember when i played zero time dilemma for the first time and it was like the first 80 percent of that game i was hooked i was loving it i it was so much fun But then the last 20%, it was like everything fell apart and it kind of ruined. It didn't ruin the experience, but it felt like, okay, this story is like really falling apart and it has really like drastically changed my opinion on the storytelling of this game. And, you know, you can feel it when you're playing it. you are just like, oh, disappointment is the feeling I would give it. But I didn't get that with Nirvana Initiative, even when there were some things I could pinpoint when playing it or I was like, I don't know how I feel about this yet. Or, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of this. I feel like this could have been done better. It never ruined my experience. It didn't, I feel, I don't, I wasn't disappointed. It was just like, hmm, okay. Like this is a game that has some flaws. It's not executed perfectly by any means, but you know, it never ruined my experience. And overall, like it's still such a good story and so much fun. Like the ride is so good and I feel like it doesn't really dip. That's the thing with Zero Times Dilemma, is that towards the end of Zero Times Dilemma, there's a dip where it's like, oh, everything's gone to shit in, like, a bad way. And I never felt like that with Nirvana Initiative, even though, you know, like I said, the story isn't executed perfectly by any means. There's not that dip where you're like, oh, I'm not enjoying this anymore. or Like, I don't like the direction that this is going. At least there wasn't for me. I felt like that was good. (laughs) So... Yeah, just the ride is so much fun with this story. And I do think that the first Eye the Somnium Files game has better storytelling specifically. And you know, the way that it's executed. And, you know, I just think it's probably more coherent and makes more sense. And, you know, similar thoughts there. But I enjoyed Nirvana Initiative more, I would say. And I think Maybe a part of that is just a sequel. You know, you're coming back to some characters that you really love. You're already invested in the world. They don't have to earn you on that. You're already in there. But I do think I enjoyed Nirvana Initiative more. Like I said, I don't think the storytelling is better. But, you know, if you were to ask me what game do I want to replay, it would be Nirvana Initiative. (laughs) And I mean, I am replaying it. And, you know, maybe some of these thoughts will change over time. Because, you know, Nirvana Initiative is still, like, extremely fresh in my mind. And so... You know, maybe next year, maybe a few months pass and, you know, I'm not as high on it and maybe then I'm a bit more critical and then, you know, I'm like, okay, maybe I do like the first game more. I don't see that happening personally because I feel like I've already delved really deep to say, like, you know, I don't think the story is as good, but I enjoyed it more. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, my opinions can definitely change over time, but right now I feel confident in saying that I think Nirvana Initiative overall is the better game even if the storytelling isn't as much there and like I feel like I'm being kind of nitpicky here because it's still an amazing story I still really really enjoyed it it's just not at the same level it's like like if the first I the Files game was like a 100% I would put this as like a 95 or like a 90% you know what I mean it's like I'm kind of uh I'm picking at things that probably don't need to be picked, (laughs) but just some general impressions as well on the characters. So this game initially was like pretty marketed as being Mizuki's game. She's the main character, but then we eventually learned that we're, it's going to be dual protagonists. And so we also have Ryuki as another protagonist. And so you have Mizuki and Aiba, they are a team. And then you have Ryuki and Tama and they are a team. And I liked Ryuki and Tama a lot more than I expected. I thought I would like Tama because she is a dummy mommy, which I think, I think Uchikoshi called her that, or someone called her that, and Uchikoshi was like, yes, I don't remember exactly. But, you know, I like her character design. I just, I think she's funny as well. And anyway, (laughs) I love her. And, but I didn't think I'd like Ryuki as much. I was just like, oh, a male character. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. But I ended up really liking Ryuki like I was initially bitter that I wasn't going to get to play as Mizuki the entire time because I feel like you know there's been more games than I would like there to be where some of the initial initial marketing was like hey we got a female main character for the first time or you know a female main character you know the marketing is centered around that but then you get a bit deeper into it or you know stuff happens and then you're like oh there's actually another main character that is a dude and you're either playing as him for more of the game or, you know, in this case, it's pretty evenly split, which I was very happy with. because I was getting a bit nervous. <laughs> I was getting a bit nervous playing this game. I was like, is this going to be like, are they misleading me? Like, am I going to be playing as Ryuki like 70% of the time and then Mizuki 30% of the time? It wasn't like that. It was pretty evenly split. Thank God. Cause I was pretty worried about that. But I did really end up liking Ryuki, even though, you know, initially I was like, oh, <laughs> I really liked him. And even, you know, when my time with Ryuki was done, and I had to move on to Mizuki. Obviously, I was very excited to play as Mizuki, but I, I also missed Ryuki a lot. <laughs> I also missed him. And so I think the, the dual protagonists are both really good. I really enjoy them. And I liked I liked both of them. I thought they were great. So <laughs> back to some more gameplay stuff okay are you ready i'm not ready so remember when i mentioned somniums earlier where you enter the sync machine enter another character's dream you have six minutes in the somnium to find critical information for the investigation process etc etc let's talk more about them so the somniums are greatly improved in this game so i i mean i personally thought they were fine in the first game i know a lot of people complained about them but For the most part, I enjoyed the concept of them and I enjoyed them the first game. But after playing Nirvana Initiative, I'm like, man. Like, they really, they really improved them. And so, you know, there's a few in the first Somnium Files games, there's a few Somniums where, you know, if I was replaying the game, I would just dread it. Like, I would dread having to go back and do that again because, you know, sometimes you're really, really, um, what's the word? I can't think of what the word is. Um, something for time. You're really crunched for time, maybe. I don't think that's the word I was looking for, but it, it gets the job done. Anyway, you're really crunched for time. And so, it's- and just- oh, it's- some of the Somniums in the first game are just rough. Um, even though, you know, maybe I like them aesthetically. When it comes to more of the game design or the gameplay of it, it's a bit more rough <laughs> in the first game. Whereas this game, Nirvana Initiative, I find the Somniums are so much more enjoyable. You know, aesthetically, they're also very interesting, like the first game, but gameplay wise, they are just so much better. And so oftentimes these Somniums will have branching paths that will lead you down alternate timelines. And this was in the first game as well, where, you know, if you do things a bit differently in a Somnium, you'll go down a different path, which will lead to different story consequences, different revelations from that Somnium. And so that was in the first game. And this is also in this game. There is a bit less of that in this game, Nirvana Initiative. (laughs) But I'm okay with that. I don't think that that was detrimental to the game at all with there being less branching timelines because it's still a lot to follow because even though there's less branching timelines, there's still, you know, two main character timelines, like, six years ago in the present, which makes it a bit more complicated to follow, so I am okay with there being less of the branching. But anyway, <laughs> like I said, none of them are as difficult or irritating as some of the late game Somniums in the first game. Like, oh, there, There's some rough ones in the first game that, you know, I always knew were rough, but after playing Nirvana Initiative, I'm like, man, they could have done these a lot better. <laughs> But anyway, one thing I really liked about the Somniums Nirvana Initiative is that a decent amount of them will introduce new mechanics that switch up the gameplay. And so, you know, in the first game, and even, you know, for the most part in Nirvana Initiative, when you're exploring the Somniums, it's pretty much the same thing throughout. You're playing as Iba, you're just investigating certain items and choosing, you know, what you want to do with them or to them or whatever. And so that's really the core of what you're doing in the Somniums. But there's just some little things that they put into the Somniums in Nirvana and Ishid spiced up. So maybe we have to do more QTEs or we'll have to present information in a certain way. I don't want to get too, like, in-depth into some of it because it's more spoilery. But I thought it was really cool. They do things to spice it up. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the virtual reality investigation things where it's like, you know, they could have done things pretty much the same as they did in the first game and it would have been fine, but I really appreciate them doing more and making me feel more invested and in it. it's like, oh, it's more fresh and you know you get excited when a new thing happens and it's like ah <laughs> So I, I thought that was really cool. I really like the soniums in this game, especially gameplay wise. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Another interesting thing that they add in this game is wink sinks. And so Wink Sinks are where you briefly sink into someone's mind without their knowledge for six seconds. And so when you sink someone regularly, you have to go to the sink machine in Abyss. You have to take them there. It's this whole ordeal. But with Wink Sinks, your AI boss, so either Aiba or Tama, will very briefly for six seconds sink into a character's mind. And you can do this without, you know, their knowledge because, you know, it's just easier. And so these, <laughs> these are a cool gameplay edition. They don't do much a lot of the time. And so, you know, there's that. They usually don't have critical information is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, you'll be doing investigations and you'll have the option to sink into someone's mind and you might just get some silly character stuff where like a character is just like fantasizing about something or, you know, they're just thinking something dumb as most of us do. <laughs> they can be pretty funny. But there are some times where there is critical information where it'll be a part of the main story to wink sync someone. You know, Eyeball would be like, hey, we should like see what's up. But a lot of the time it is just, you know, funnier stuff. But I thought it was cool. And, you know, I think two things that I would love to see come back if we ever get a third eye game would be the wink sinks and the virtual reality investigation segments. I think that, you know, they're just fun. The virtual reality investigation segments are definitely a lot of fun you know gameplay wise and you know just getting to do more stuff but the wink sinks i think are just funny <laughs> i think that you know they're just a fun little addition they're more charming than really adding much but i still think that they're cool so keep them in if you do a third eye one thing that i forgot to mention when I was talking about uh, the investigation parts, where it's like the more visual novel adventure parts of the game, where you're like pointing and clicking, and you're asking characters different things, or you're investigating different items, but uh, you're just, you know, regular, regular stuff. One thing I forgot to mention that, you know, this is something that annoyed me. I think now we're getting into more of my issues with the game, so bear with me. One thing that I really didn't like was there's certain parts where you'll be in these investigation segments and you'll be talking to characters you'll have you'll click on them and you'll be able to choose a few different dialogue options usually there's like you know three or four that you can choose from and so maybe you'll choose the first option and then you'll choose the second option and then you'll get the third option But then that third option will automatically advance the main plot. And so you're not able to get that fourth option. That fourth thing that you could have said to this character you can't do anymore because the plot already immediately progressed. And so this doesn't happen in the first game. In the first game, um, you can talk to every character, get every little bit. There's never anything... To my, that I remember where it automatically advances without at least letting you possibly talk and like get all the dialogue options your first go and technically you can do that in Nirvana initiative as well but it's just that there's a few dialogue options that will after you do them like immediately progress the main plot you won't be able to go back and do them unless you like reload to that area again which is can be really irritating And so that was just so frustrating because, you know, I would be talking to characters and, you know, I just choose an option. Like I just say something to them, not knowing that that would immediately progress the plot forward and I would lose, you know, one to three dialogue options that I should have been able to do. Like if I had just done those other three first and did the one that I chose last, I would have gotten them all. And I don't understand why this happens because the first game didn't do this at all and it's just really weird I, I don't I don't understand why they did why just why I don't understand um you know I get wanting to move things forward and you know I get not every player is going to want to see all that dialogue but you know they can just they they just fly through it they can just skip it they can do whatever but it's just really irritating to me because there's a few times where I had to like you know, reload into an area, because I, like, really wanted to hear what these characters had to say, but I accidentally progressed the plot when I wasn't ready to yet, and so that... I really didn't like that. I hope that if we get a third eye game that it doesn't do that anymore, because it just... it it feels really frustrating, to be completely honest. (laughs) Like I said, it doesn't even happen in the first game, so I'm not sure... You know, there's not, there's not many things that I feel like go backwards in this game, but that is one of them where I'm just like, how, how did this even happen? (laughs) Like, it's so weird. Anyway. And another weird gameplay thing that I want to talk about, which is kind of similar, is there are a few puzzles in this game during investigation segments. And these puzzles rely on previous information, like notes that you need to solve the puzzle, However, almost every time this happens, the game won't let you view the hints. So like, there's a few parts where um, you'll get these clues. So maybe it'll be a few letters, numbers, some pictures, whatever. You get these clues. And they're to help you solve the puzzle that they're about to present to you. It'll be like a code, it'll be a password, whatever. It's something like that. And you need to use these hints to solve the puzzle as one does. But for some strange reason when the time comes when they give you the little box to input the password, they don't let you go back and view the hints. So it's just like good fucking luck. <laughs> like it's so like usually, you know, if you're playing, you know, a zero escape game, for example, and it comes time to put in a password or something, you'll be able to like open your files and look at the information that you acquired if you're like in an escape room or something. But for some god-awful reason, they don't do this when you need a password in this game. And so, here's the thing. If you don't enter it, if you just kind of exit out, because you're like, I don't know what the fuck it is. If you do that a few times, then, you know, Iba or Tama will pop up. And they'll be like, hey, do you need help with this? And then they'll show you the hint. They'll remind you of, you know, the letters that were there. Or the numbers, or whatever and they'll pop up, and it's like, I could have used this before, (laughs) like, like, I don't know if they just assume that I'm going to, like, physically jot down, um, the hints before it's time to solve it, so that I remember when I go to solve it, I can just do it my first shot, but, like, I'm gonna guess 99% of people playing this game weren't doing that, and that when it came time to enter the puzzle, they were like, okay, let me just, you know, go back and view the hints. And then they couldn't do that. And so they didn't get it. They had to go back and then, you know, don't get it right. (laughs) You don't, you can't look back at the hints. But then the characters are like, are you stupid? Like, do you need help? And I'm like, I'm like, why can't I just look at the hints without having to give up a few times for you to show me the hints? It's just so weird. And I don't understand, I don't understand why it does this. It's, you know, and once again, this wasn't something that was in the first game, but it, it was just, it's frustrating when you're like, I could probably solve this, but you're just not giving me the hints. And there, there's a few where you can view stuff, but for some reason, there's a few puzzles where you just have to like fail at them a few times before you can view the hint again. Like you'll go to look in the log and the hint won't be there and there's not like a file that you can look at with the hints and it's just very frustrating it's frustrating and bad design and you know this doesn't happen many times in the game but whenever it does happen i'm just like i'm like how did someone overlook this like it seems like such an easy thing to do like and such an easy thing to think to do as well because it's crucial information that you need to solve the puzzle and they're just not giving it to you They're not reminding you of it. They're not giving you a chance to look at it again until you fail it a few times. It's just really weird. Overall, (laughs) the gameplay experience in Nirvana Initiative is greatly improved in most areas. You know, once again, I'm being a bit nitpicky. But, you know, those small nitpicks were things that genuinely frustrated me during my playthrough when it came to the passwords or, you know, automatically advancing the plot when I was not ready. Those were, like, really genuine complaints of mine. But, you know, the core of the gameplay is usually the Somniums and the virtual reality investigation segments and, or just the regular, you know, visual novel investigation segments. And overall, those have been, you know, really good. And in the case of the Somniums, greatly improved. So I really, the gameplay for the most part is good. Same with the QTEs. I know I talked about them a bit earlier. The QTEs are also greatly improved in this game and they're a lot of fun. And so, you know, the Gameplay Nirvana Initiative, I think, is it's good. It's great, for the most part. But, yeah, I do have some things where I'm like, what? Anyway. So, <laughs> I'm not yet done. Let's get on to some presentation stuff. So, the game, for the most part, looks great. You know, it's not Final Fantasy 7 Remake. It's not The Last of Us Part Two, It's not, like, overly graphically demanding. But it looks good. You know, I like the style of it. I like the aesthetic. I, I like how it looks. And so... I played this game a few different ways. Um, the majority of my playthrough was on PS4. That was my entire first playthrough on Twitch. I played on the PS4. Um, I have played the first few hours on Switch and I've been doing my replay on my PS5, which you know I haven't finished yet, obviously, but I've been replaying it on PS5. And so for the most part, I'm going to talk about my experience on the PS4 since that was where I spent the majority of my time with this game but um, I will add in a bit of Switch and PS5 as well. So the character models and environments are great and definitely upgraded from the first game. Um, when I first started playing it, I was a bit taken aback because for some reason, like most of the models, character models from the first game look pretty identical to the first game. <laughs> but for some reason, Iris, her Nirvana Initiative model looked like slightly different. It was really irritating me for a while, but I got used to it. Anyway, they, they look good for the most part. They look great. I think, you know, it's fun. <laughs> However, once again, there are a handful of pre-rendered cutscenes in this game. There, there's not many of them. One of them is when you're sinking into someone's mind. You're going into their dream, whatever. There's always a little pre-rendered cutscene that plays when you're doing that. For some, Like, it looks like shit, to be completely honest. It looks like it's running at, like, not even 720p. It looks like it's not even HD. And, like, it'll lag a lot as well. And, like, the sound quality isn't as good when you're in those pre-rendered cutscenes. I don't understand why this is happening. I feel like it's not very... Like, I feel like it's not demanding much of, you know, my PS4 or the game itself. I'm like, why is this running like shit? I don't understand these. And, like I said, this happens very very rarely, but when it does happen, it it can really take you out of the moment sometimes. Um, and it's just like, I, I don't understand why this looks like shit. <laughs> because the pre rendered cutscenes are supposed to be the ones that look really good, right? You know, like if you're playing Final Fantasy seven Remake or, you know, Kingdom Hearts or, you know, stuff like that, when you get to a pre render cutscenes, those are the ones that are supposed to look good, right? Because they're not an the engine, it's supposed to be less demanding. But for some reason, in Nirvana Initiative, a lot of them look like shit. (laughs) So, it was low-key embarrassing, honestly. And, you know, I hate saying that, but I genuinely don't understand why they looked that bad. And that was on PS4 where I was really dealing with that. But I know my friend Adam, I think he was playing most of it on Xbox One. Not Xbox One, Xbox Series X, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, whatever current-gen Xbox is. I think that's what he was playing it on. He said the same thing, that, you know, the cutscenes going into Sonium specifically were, like, very bad. (laughs) So, there was that. I don't understand why it looks that bad. But it does. Other than that, (laughs) the music in this game is really good. You know, the first soundtrack for the first Eye of the and Files game is also really good. But there were some real bangers in Nirvana Initiative that I really enjoyed, so shout out to that there's also a really great voice cast so i played with the english dub i especially loved mizuki's voice actor gen's voice actor ryuki's voice actor date's voice actor all of them they were all very good i really loved listening to them honestly the voice cast overall is like fantastic but those were just a few of my favorites really great performances in this game for sure so kind of going back to me Nitpicking, uh, like the pre render cutscenes. Um, I did have some performance issues with this game that some seem to be exclusive to me, or you know, something like that, but some that I've heard from other people as well. Some complaints, and so I, I really love this game, but the performance issues at times were really, you know, taking me a step back. And so the loading screens for this game are bad, they're very long. And, you know, a lot of the times when you have a long loading screen in games, they'll give you, like, something to look at. You know, I think of, like, Final Fantasy VII Remake. They'll usually have, like, a picture of, like, an area and then, like, a description of that area or, like, some lore stuff. Tales of Arise does something very similar to this as well. Or, you know, Kingdom Hearts 3 where they have, like, little, like, Instagram posts that you can look at. There's a lot of creative ways that game developers have, you know, given us something to look at when it comes to loading screens but Nirvana Initiative is just like black screens like there's just nothing it's very boring and like there's a few times where I was like did I break my game because the loading screen was that long um most loading screen like it's just I've never played a game where it felt like I was just sitting there doing nothing for so long and just waiting which is really frustrating because it can kind of take you out of it a bit when you're like oh my god I'm like so hyped up and I'm like I want to see what happens next and then it's like oh here's like a 45 second loading screen. <laughs> I might be exaggerating, I don't know, but some of them felt that long, which is never a good thing. But yeah, that was a bit frustrating. I will say the PS5 version was, it is faster from my second playthrough so far, but my first playthrough on the PS4 and from what I played on Switch, the loading screens were really bad. And I also had this weird hair glitch that happened a few times and... I've talked to multiple people about this and I've heard, you know, some people, this only happened to them once. Some people, it never happened to them at all. It happened a lot for me. And so there's basically this weird hair glitch sometimes where Mizuki's hair would just like, f- like fly up to the sky. Like it was just glitching out and like rising. And I'm like, it takes you out of the moment. Cause it's like a serious moment. There's a serious conversation going on and Mizuki's sprite in the corner her hair is just flying to the sky, and it's really like, oh my god! Like, what is happening? It reminds me of Zero Time Dilemma, when like Akane or Mira's hair will just start going like, and it's like, oh my god, what is happening? But it's funny in that it's not nine <laughs> Files, and Nirvana Initiative just feels more like, oh, oh, this isn't this isn't funny. This is just like, oh, it's kind of embarrassing. I wish this wasn't happening. It's taking me out a bit, a bit. But anyway, so overall, overall, <laughs> my enjoyment of I, the Somnium Viles Nirvana Initiative was a solid 10 out of 10. Like the experience, the ride, just everything about it, I thought was a 10 out of 10. When it comes to like me personally, it's my favorite gaming experience that I've had in a while. Definitely this year, it's been my favorite, It'd probably be my game of the year, but you know, I really loved it. And like I said, 10 out of 10, however, <laughs> If I were to sort of be more critical about it, like if I was like a games journalist or something like that, if I was trying to be, I guess, more objective about it where it's not about my own personal experience, just kind of looking at it as like a product, I would probably give it closer to a nine because, you know, it's not perfect. I feel like 10 out of 10 is like a nearly perfect game. I don't feel like Nirvana Initiative is a perfect game. And so I I would give it closer to a 9 out of 10 because, you know, I've listed my complaints um, Not really about the story because that's more spoiler oriented, but definitely about the gameplay and you know performance. Some issues I had there. I do think it's closer to a nine out of ten than a ten out of ten. But you know personally, like I, th- in my eyes, it's a ten out of ten, even though it's like a nine out of ten. If if that makes sense, <laughs> like I do think it's a nine out of ten, but my enjoyment is a ten out of ten. If that makes more sense. <laughs> But yeah, this game has so much to offer. I think it is so good. I think it's better than the first game if you have played that, but you haven't picked out but you haven't picked up Nirvana Initiative yet. Um I do think Nirvana Initiative is the better game, even though maybe its storytelling isn't on the same level. Um I think it's just so good. You know, I love Ujikoshi, I love his work. And, you know, there's some mind blowing moments in this game. There's some really good characters. It's just there's a great soundtrack the gameplay is fun. It's just, it's a great time. And I think a lot of people really like it. I highly recommend you give this game a shot or play the first game and, you know, see how it goes from there. But I've talked about this game a lot. (laughs) And I really, I really love this series. And I think you should give it a shot. I think you should definitely give it a shot. If this, if you've listened this far, I feel like you have to be at least somewhat interested, right? And the first Eye of the Somnium Files game does go on sale quite often digitally. It is more difficult to find physically. But, like, I think recently it was on sale for, like, $8 on PSN. So, it definitely goes down in price every now and then. If you want to wait and get it on sale, it is definitely worth your money, especially on sale. Like, it's a steal. So, trust me, play the first game. If you've already played the first game, play Nirvana Initiative because man, you'll just, it'll change your brain chemistry. That's how I feel. (laughs) Now, if you have listened this far, thank you. (laughs) But if you haven't yet played Nirvana Initiative, leave. (laughs) Because now we are about to get into the spoiler cast portion of this episode. So if you haven't played it yet, and you don't want to be spoiled, Stop listening. Okay? Okay. So let's get on to your opinions about I The Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative. The question that I asked you guys for this episode was give me your mini review of I The Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative. So let's get into it. So Tolly Zo says still haven't finished it and working and being a cat mostly, which is completely understandable. And then Cubic says music was ten out of ten. Action scenes were vastly improved. Sonyam seemed a lot better too. I love the mega twist, but wish they walked you through it a little more clearly. Like a quick day-by-day recap, etc. Komeji's head shape was super distracting for no discernible reason, which sucks because his story was pretty interesting. They did Oda and Mama so dirty, reducing them to eternal A-set simps. Amame Glow Up ruled. Tokiko ruled. Overall, I'd put it at the same level of I1 in terms of quality. Solid recommendation. I agree with a lot of what you said here. So... I definitely think with the mega twist. So I'm assuming we're thinking about the same thing here, which is the timeline twist where um, <laughs> it turns out that some things that you thought were happening six years ago were actually happening in, in present and, and vice versa. And so that really threw me for a loop. I definitely wish, you know, I think a day by day recap definitely would have been very beneficial. And they do kind of let you explore the timeline a bit. Like, I know I did that when I was streaming, and I was just kind of, like, trying to grasp how everything was going together. I was, like, manually going through the timeline and seeing, like, okay, so this part with Ryuki was in the present, but I thought it was six years ago. But even then, it's very difficult, because it's, like, trying to remember what happened during those events, and yeah, I definitely think a day-by-day recap would have been super beneficial there. And, you know, I like when games assume that you're smart, (laughs) and I think... You know, as a storyteller, you don't want to underestimate your audience and, you know, their, their intellect. But at the same time, I do wish they held my hand a bit more through that, through the timeline twist especially. Because the other thing was when I was streaming it, I, it took me a while to kind of clue in that with the Mizuki twist, that half the time I was playing as Mizuki and half the time I was playing as BB. That was one thing, you know, I understood the timelines but the Mizuki thing was really throwing me off and I think if I wasn't streaming it and I didn't have people like kind of trying to explain it to me I would have been really confused and I don't know how long it would have taken me to like catch on to that so I definitely wish they would have held my hand a bit more through that because I was it's a lot to take in <laughs> it's a lot to take in also yeah the action scenes were vastly improved I really like just like this kind of choreography of it all felt really improved but anyway and then trio says as the sequel nirvana initiative does a lot of mechanical stuff better than the first game specifically with the somnions which are easier to understand the logic and are less trial and error than those in the first game new cast of characters and the mystery of the half-body serial killing are great to engage with and i greatly enjoyed moving the plot forward Overall, I really enjoyed the game, but I do find it but I do find it that overarching plot does falter compared to the first game as it focuses itself fully on one plot twist for the player but not for the characters within the story. It does mean that Nirvana initiative does lean itself to being a better replay experience to really see how much the plot twist was thought out. I do wish we were able to switch between the two protagonists throughout the story instead of one of them, then the other, as both were great characters with their AI ball sidekicks. But each protag section was incredibly long with no breaks. Yeah, that is, uh, yeah, I can definitely, yeah. (laughs) Like, I was surprised when I was first playing it that it was just fully Ryuki and then fully Mizuki. I thought it would be more of that sort of even split of, like, You know, going between them. Kind of like if you've ever played Kingdom Hearts 3D, where, you know, you'll play as Sora for a bit, and then you'll just drop to Riku. You play Riku for a bit, you go to Sora. That's more how I thought it would play out. But it really is just bulk Ryuki and bulk Mizuki. (laughs) Which, you know, I'm not too hard on that. But, yeah, I definitely... It would be interesting to see how that would be. And, you know, I'm kind of replaying it chronologically now in the actual timeline order. So I am jumping between the two and it's cool. It's cool, but I'm not, I'm not like a hundred percent about, um, how that would really play out or like if it would feel better, I guess, but I am replaying the game right now. So I will get back to you on that. Um, if, you know, replaying it does lead to the plot twist being, making more sense, I guess. I will say there has been like more foreshadowing like when you are replaying it in chronological order at least for me and I haven't done a lot of it yet but you know from what I've done so far it is definitely like I see things and I hear things and I'm like oh that's what they're talking about so there's definitely that <laughs> but it's still kind of like frustrating you know what I mean because like you lied to me anyway then Okami says, 10 out of 10, game for me. Love that. Then Ambidex Cube, thank you so much for the new podcast cover art, by the way. <laughs> Ambidex Cube says, I'm not even done the game, but my review is Mizuki Slays. I know that since uh, Ambidex Cube replied to that, I know that they have since finished Nirvana Initiative, and I think they really liked it. But I- I'm putting words in their mouth now, so <laughs> let's move on. Then Jay says, so I'm just about through Ryuki's side, so this is more of a halfway through impression, maybe a few parts, so bear with me. I really like it so far. I absolutely love the nice related things. Tokiko is legitimately scary without really trying to be. The other new characters introduced fit really well into the story so far. Music is awesome. The Somniums are really fun, improved from I1, in my opinion. The Switch version has some performance issues, which is more which is more of a minor gripe. Also, early on in the game, I felt a bit confused as if I had started it in progress or something and no clue what was happening for the first bit. They kind of passed after the prologue and I got more comfortable and found the pace slowed down nicely. Overall, I'm really enjoying it and I'm excited to see the second half of the story unfold. And yes, oh my god, I I forgot how confusing that first bit of the game is. So I was re-watching my VOD from my first playthrough Cause I'm editing a bit of it to like make a YouTube video of just like the highlights of it. And I forgot how confused I was during that first bit where like, what is it? You play as Ryuki and then you play as Mizuki and then you know you flip back and forth. And yeah, it is confusing at first where you're switching between the two timelines and two characters. Yeah, that really confused me when I first I first started the game. It makes more sense now, but when you're first playing it, you're like, ooh confusing and also yeah the performance issues were, are not just on switch although i imagine they're probably exemplified on switch i haven't played enough of the switch version to like concretely say that but i feel i feel pretty confident in saying that and then smug says game's great characters are better than i won but the mystery was way worse and the meta stuff sucked also i can't believe mizuki got shafted so hard in her own game yeah i mean like i definitely like the characters more than the characters in the first game. I think that the cast is so much better. Um, And that's pretty impressive, because I did like the cast of the first game. But yeah, once I started, you know, cluing into the fact that I'd only played as Mizuki for like a third of the game, I was kind of like, ooh. Or even like a fourth of the game, I guess. Because it's like half Ryuki, half of the Mizukis. Yeah. So you're really only playing as Mizuki for like maybe a fourth of the game. Maybe a third if we're being generous. So that sucks. <laughs> that kind of sucks. And then Adam came in with a big review. Adam says, the cast is the biggest strength of both eyes and especially helps carry this game. New cast is overall very good. My one pet peeve is that for no reason, Kizuna is a rich kid that hates the unemployed. And this is still seen as lovable by the game, but that's just me. Genny, Mame, Shoma are all joys and Lian and Komeji ended up being much more likable than when I first met them. Yeah, I, when Lian was first introduced, I was like, what the hell is going on with this man? But then unfortunately by the end of the game, I was like, oh, he's one of my favorite characters. (gasps) I'm not proud of that but I did end up really liking Leanne he's he's just a lovable himbo anyway let's see what else Adam has to say I love Mizuki so much, and apart from the reveal that Shoko and Renju aren't actually her parents, I feel out of most of the retcons that did the most harm to previous character development, really enjoyed getting to know more about her. I loved Ryuki, and even though I was initially upset that Mizuki wasn't the player character for the entire game, I missed Ryuki when he was gone. Also, he totally crushes on Date. Poor boy. That was... I think I I have a bit about this in my review as well, Adam. As I'm sure you know, because we talked about this game a lot. (laughs) But yeah, I feel like that retcon specifically is my least favorite in the game. You know, I do think that Mizuki just being extremely strong for the hell of it was really funny in the first game. I, I can see why they would kind of explain that with, you know, her genes and, you know, cloning or whatever. I get why they would be like, okay, this is where her super strength comes from. I think that's fine even though I think it's funnier when it's just this really strong 12-year-old for no reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, when it comes to Shoko and Renju, you know, I might as well just get into this now. <laughs> when it comes to Shoko and Renju, it's really, in the first game, it's a big thing that, like, you know, they had Mizuki and their terrible parents, and... There's a whole part about Shoko basically saying, like, I wish I never had you. Like, you're a terrible child. I wish you weren't in my life. All these things. And, I mean, you you would think that being an adoptive parent, that you would be more loving to your child than perhaps, you know, someone that maybe accidentally had a child. You know, they didn't intend to become a parent. But what do I know? I do know there are some fucking awful adoptive parents out there. I'm not trying to say that adoptive parents are always fantastic, but it is a bit weird to me. With the way that they just kind of set it up in the first game, and then in this game they're like, oh, she was actually adopted by Shoko and Renju. It, it That's definitely the most obvious retcon, and it's the one that I would also say is my least favorite, where it's just like, I don't know how I feel about this because it, it's such a core part of Mizuki's character as well in the first game where she's lost her parents, obviously, but also that she's really struggling to kind of come to terms with her relationship with them and, you know, wanting to feel loved by them and how important they are to her. And, you know, obviously that doesn't go away because they're adopted parents, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, but it just it feels weird. It feels weird to kind of go back on that when obviously that wasn't the case when they wrote the first game, if that makes sense. Then Adam says the English voice acting is such a strong aspect of the game as well that I feel deserves more attention. All actors do such a tremendous job. Agreed. Definitely agree. The twist of playing as BB sometimes was interesting, but I feel like it mostly depends on where they take the story from here to see whether it paid off or not. If the timeline shenanigans lead to the Freya being a big part of the third game, I think it'll have been a success. If not, then the twist feels unnecessary. A twist for twist's sake. The more I think about it, the more it reminds me of the end of VLR. Though that was just a quick thing at the end and this was what the whole game was built around. This will be revealed in the third game. Please look forward to it. <laughs> and yeah, me and Adam have been talking about this a lot. And I will I will just keep it simple and say that I agree for now and then go into more depth on it later. <laughs> but I agree. And then Adam also says, some questionable story decisions prevented from being my favorite Uchi game, but the writing, characters, music, and vibes are so good that I loved a lot regardless. Shout out to Niza's theme, Lien's Somnium, the new Investigation music, and Brahmin as my favorite new tracks, but pretty much the entire soundtrack fucks. Agree, agree. Though they said there were PS5 and Xbox Series versions when it was announced, and that turned out to not be true. Saw the loading is pretty bad, even on Series X. Game looked very pleasant, though, clean, and with seemingly a higher budget than the original, except the Somnium intro videos. Like, (laughs) WTF. Exactly. Exactly, Adam. You're completely correct. It's so surprising that we got another eye and I'm so glad we did. Selfishly really hoping we get another, but I appreciate that we got this at all. I3 then a Zero scape crossover next. And yeah, like at the end of the day, I never thought that we would get a sequel to The First eye of the Sonic Files game, so the fact that we got a sequel and it was good is like really that's already more than I would have asked for, so like I'm content. I'm content. And then the last answer we have here is from qwerty and qwerty says i love the game on one hand i do understand the complaints that a few of you have been having but but on the other hand i was so consistently excited during this game that they honestly don't really knock it down for me at all every time i turned on the game i was thrilled to play there weren't any uh portions of the game like in the first one for me anytime we hung out with so i was like fine i guess we have to do this (laughs) but i loved all the characters this time around In addition, I don't think any of the Somniums were bad. There were like two or three in the first game I wouldn't be excited to get to in a replay, but so many of the Somniums this time around made me think, oh, this is easily the best one. Plus, I think the final few hours are just so over the top and exciting and good. Using the motorcycle to fly through the air and explode the rocket is so silly. Love it. The Ryuki Diverge ending gave me the Uchi goodness I'm always thrilled about. The third-class cabin is just pure fan service in all the best ways. The game has its faults, but it knows how to give you a good euphoric time right before you exit. Definitely hoping for a third installment. I think the little world that was created is magical. I also really liked, like, the ending bits. Like, I know some people think it's too over the top, but the ending bits with, like, the Mizukis and the motorcycle just flying in the air... Or, like, Kizuna with her Gatling gun saying, "'Come and get it, motherfuckers.'" Like, there's just... That was perfect to me. Like, it's pure fan service in the best way possible. And, like, some of my favorite moments in the game are those moments. So, like, so good. And also, yes, the Ryuki Diverge ending... We'll get into that a bit later, but... There's just... There's so many good moments in this game. Same with Third Class Cabin. I mean, if y'all watched me stream, (laughs) that was what made me cry was um man actually i don't think i remember to put anything about the third class cabin in my review so i'll just talk about it a bit now um so the third yeah. class cabin i was streaming my entire you know finale i guess of I the somnium files nirvana initiative and so once i finished diverge that's when you unlock the third class cabin and when it said like bonus third class cabin i was like <laughs> like if you want to the bottom just kind of like what? Like, I just keep, like, kind of being confused, because obviously I know what third class cabin is, and I'm like, is it? No. Like, I'm trying not to get too excited. Like, I'm trying not to cry before, because, like, what if I'm wrong? Like, I'm doubting myself. I'm, like, gaslighting myself to be like, this is not related to Zero Escape. <laughs> but, man, so I remember when that happened, I was just like, okay, let's do this right away. <laughs> like, I gotta do this now. And then, once I started it, and I I just heard, like, the sound, the 999 sounds of, like, you know, the water and the ship and the the creaking and all of that. Um, I just kind of, like, started crying. (laughs) And then it, it got more emotional when I see, like, you know, the third class cabin looking the way that it did. Because, obviously, 999 was made for the DS. And, you know, it does look a bit better in the Nonary Games version. But seeing that environment kind of, you know, built from the ground up and looking so good, I was just like, oh my god, like, I'm emotional right now. Because, like, if you look at, I think it's the red on the door. I think it's the red, not the dead. But the little authenticator for the bracelet. Oh my god. I was like, the detail on this. Like, it looks like it's shining. Like, it's just so good. And I was so amazed by it. And, like, they didn't need to do that. Like, What is with the budget in this game? Like, who's giving Uchikoshi these budgets? Because, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Nirvana Initiative will sell better magically than all those other games. But I I was just... Oh, my God. I was so happy and emotional. (laughs) Because 999 is, like, my favorite game of all time. And so, that was just... That was really special. That, That was really, really special to me. And, like, they didn't need to do that. You know what I mean? Like, I was just so surprised. And... So cool. So good. But anyway, so now let's get into my actual spoiler cast thoughts on this game. I've already covered some stuff, just going through your questions. Um, but let's, let's get into this. So first off, I need to talk about the big plot twist. I feel like that's a good jumping off point for a spoiler cast. So let me get my notes here. The big plot twist is essentially that the timeline isn't the way that it has been presented to you the game gives the player the impression that everything that happens while playing as Ryuki took place six years ago, and that everything happening in Mizuki's side is in the present. However, the timelines intersect and cross over and, you know, have this weird sort of mishmash of things going on. And, I mean, maybe I'm overthinking it a little bit, but when you look at how the timeline crosses over, it does kind of look like, like those DNA strands. And they actually, they do this similarly in Jakara's somnium where when he is you when know, it's like the music's on boom 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 and chikara is like twirling around and like the rainbows in the background like that also kind of looks like dna strands anyway i'm getting i'm anyway <laughs> anyway in reality some ryuki parts and some mizuki parts take place during the different timelines so there's some times where you're playing as ryuki and you're in the present and sometimes you're playing as mizuki or bb and you are in the past, the six years ago timeline. So, <sighs> I know I've already spoiled this a little bit, but you may be wondering, we see 12-year-old Mizuki in the six years ago parts with Ryuki. So how is that possible that you're playing as Mizuki in the six years ago part? Because she, she doesn't look 12 when you're playing as her there. Well, that's because Mizuki is essentially a genetic clone of this other girl that's six years older, Then her, who is also named Mizuki, and wears identical clothes as her in the present timeline. So in reality, half the time you're playing as Mizuki, you're actually playing as the other Mizuki in the six years ago timeline. From now on, I'm just going to call her BB to make things simpler. Okay, I'm just going to go through my notes because I feel like I'm, I'm going to get really messy if I don't. So... In my opinion, the game doesn't do a great job of explaining the intricacies of this timeline and how the Mizuki thing works. I kind of talked about that earlier. I feel like they should have held my hand through it more (laughs) to not be as confusing. Because it really is just you trying to figure out what's going on, but, like, in the most inconvenient way possible. So because of this twist, we find out that the half-body killings weren't as confusing as we were made to believe. So initially it leads the player to thinking that for all the people killed, their first half is found six years ago. So when you're playing as Ryuki, you find one half of like all the characters that were killed. So you find Jin, you find Chikara, Tokiko, um, Komeji, you, you find the first half of all of them. And then... When you're playing as Mizuki, it seems like you're just now, six years later, finding the second half of these bodies. So, you know, Jin, Komeiji, um, Tokiko, Chikara, it feels like, it leads you to believe, that they are being found six years later. However, in reality, the only person that this happens to is Jin Furaway, and even then, that that's not even what happened. It just appears that way. Because of all the mishmashing of people that Chikara has done, <laughs> so in reality, both of Chikara's halves were found six years ago, same with Komeiji, and then Tokiko. Both of her halves were found in the present, even though it it misleads you, and that's kind of where you know you start. Iris and a couple of the other characters are like, "Oh, is it like teleportation?" And at that point, you're like, "Well, that's like the only thing that can make sense, right?" You know, if Jin Furroway in the present was, it's saying he was killed nine hours ago, but we already know half of his body was found six years ago. How does that make sense? Teleportation? And so it misleads you throughout all the other killings to believe that it's something like that, when in reality, um, both of their halves were found around the same time. That's kind of the gist of it. But you already knew that. (laughs) So... Let's get into more of my thoughts on it and not just me going over it. So, I did enjoy how this was presented by Mama revealing it to us and breaking the fourth wall and having a bit of a a meta moment. I thought it was cool. Um, I I thought it was cool how, you know, at the end it's implied that, like, she was doing a seance and she's like, oh, who was I just talking to? You know, I thought that was fine. I I really liked it in the moment, but thinking about it more upon closer reflection. I think that when we're talking about the plot and sort of the overall themes of Nirvana Initiative, I feel like it would have made more sense if we got this reveal from Tokiko. And I mean, I'm open to discussion on this (laughs) because I think it's interesting. But I think this would have worked better from a pure storytelling perspective if this came from Tokiko, Because she knows about Freya, and so Freya is essentially us. Freya is the player, if that makes sense. And so Mama is talking to us as the player, but it doesn't really feel like she's talking to Freya, if that makes sense. (laughs) It's really weird. And although Tokiko is, like, technically dead at this point, I think it would have worked fine because there's also the implication of, like, Tokiko can resurrect herself, and, you know, she knows that the world is a simulation. She can directly connect with Freya, and she's the only person that really does that. I mean, maybe, um, kind of Ryuki. We kind of connect with Ryuki as well in the Diverge ending, but for the most part, the only person that's having really a a direct connection with Freya is Tokiko, and I think, and, you know, she's aware of the simulation. I think it would have worked better if she was the one sort of presenting this information to us rather than mama i think it also would have been like a big brain moment to just see tokiko when she's already dead and you know maybe they were kind of saving that sort of impact with tokiko for the diverge ending i'm not really sure but i think it would have been better to have tokiko present it just you know from a storytelling perspective I think it worked better. Like I said, Mama was fine. But it's like, why does Mama know all of this? Because even though she's talking to us as Freya, she's the one giving us the information. And I think that just would have worked better if it was Tokiko. Because I think it makes more sense for Tokiko to understand the intricacies of it all and explain to us than Mama. (laughs) That's just my opinion. Now, I have a lot of thoughts on the twist In particular. And so I like the idea of the twist. I like where they were going with it, with the timeline being confused, okay? I think that that is an interesting concept. I think it could have worked very well, but I don't think it was executed the best. I think it could have been executed better for a few reasons. So, one thing is that it feels like there are a lot of plot conveniences that need to happen to make this work. And, you know, I definitely have some suspension of disbelief when I'm playing video games or, you know, consuming any sort of media. You always have to have that or else you're probably not going to enjoy anything. But I think they ask too much of the player when it comes to of disbelief. And it takes a lot of that for this twist to really work, in my opinion. So like some conveniences are like, oh, It's just very convenient that both of these girls are named Mizuki, for one. Um, That they both have the exact same outfit, even six years apart. Um, That none of the other characters ever, like, directly mention Mizuki to the other Mizuki. You know, it's... There's some implications when you're, you know, talking to Kizuna. Where she's like, oh, like, you remind me of my big sis. And stuff like that. But, you know, you don't think anything of it. You're just like, oh, Kizuna's is just, like, kind of weird. You just don't think much about it. And, you know, personally, <laughs> if I knew someone that looked identical to someone else I knew, I'd probably be like, oh, like, do you have a sister? Like, do you have a twin? Is there, like, someone related to you? Like, I know this person. I met this person a few years ago that looks identical to you. Isn't that weird? And their name was also Mizuki. Like, no one mentioned that to either of them. It's just so weird. Like, I get it. I get it. Suspension of disbelief. But there's just little things like that where I'm like, how do you expect me to believe this? (laughs) Like, it's just not... Anyway. And so my main issue really with this plot twist is that it just doesn't need to exist and Adam kind of leaned into this a bit earlier that it feels like a plot twist just for plot twist's sake and I agree with that for the most part like and here's the reason why here's the reason that I've come up with as to why this plot twist doesn't need to exist and why it just feels like a plot twist to have a plot twist so I've been thinking about this a lot (laughs) And so this plot twist doesn't affect our main characters at all. It only misleads the player, if that makes sense. So when you find out about the timeline switching, it's only you that's finding that out. All of the characters already know the sequence of events. I think you could make an argument for maybe Ryuki doesn't because he has his own mental stuff going on and he's also been infected with TC Purge. You could make an argument there. But for the most part, we are the only person that is being directly affected by this plot twist within the storytelling. And so I'm going to give some comparison stuff here between the zero escape series and the eye series. So if you don't want spoilers for either of them, just like skip ahead a few minutes, but let's just talk about some stuff. So one of my favorite plot twists that Uchikoshi has used a few times that I really enjoyed have been in virtue's last reward and in the first eye of the somnium files game. They're very similar So in Virtue's Last Reward, one of the big twists is that Sigma has actually been in his old-aged body this whole time, and that he's actually zero. Similarly, in the first I, the Somnium Files game, one of the twists is that Date is actually in somebody else's body, and has a previous life that is, like, filled with secrets. He was Falco, all these things. And so the similar part of these twists is that they exist to hide information from not just the player, but also the main character. So, these plot twists have, they directly affect the main character, and thus the storytelling. So, when you have their reveal at the end of VLR that Sigma is, you know, 60, in a 60-year-old body, and that he was zero this whole time, you know, this is like a character moment for Sigma, because he's like, what the hell? Like... What is going on? Like, he is confused along with the player. And yes, you know, they do hide some things very conveniently in Virtue's Last Reward. Where, you know, you never see Sigma when you're in um, Rhizome 9. You never see him, even though you see the other characters. He doesn't have voice acting like the other characters. But, like, at least when I first played VLR, I didn't really think about that. Because I'm just like, oh, he's the main character. Like, maybe that's why. It's just so we can connect with him more. Something like that. Maybe that's why. I didn't think anything of it. And so, to me, that's executed very well. It doesn't feel like they're lying to me just to lie to the player, because Sigma doesn't know either, and he's our point of view. And so, it makes sense in that way. And very similarly, in the first Eye of the Somnium Files game, Date also doesn't know this information about his past life. He has amnesia, and so, you know, both the player and the main character are in very similar positions, even though the other characters in the game might not be saying certain things. You know, a boss isn't telling Dante about what happened six years ago. And I mean, even in VLR, there's some characters that are, you know, saying stuff to Sigma. Like, you must have done a lot of drugs to look like that at age 20 or something. So, like, there's stuff like that. But it's not lying to the player just to lie to the player. It's also because it has a big effect on the main character. And, you know when Date figures out some of his past along with us in the first eye, it changes his perspective on things a bit too. So, I think that those twists that directly affect our main character as as well as the player, I think that they work very, very well. And it's, it's, it's great. I love that. I love that. <laughs> now, I'm going to use some other examples. So we're going to talk about Zero Time Dilemma and Nirvana Initiative. So in Zero Time Dilemma, there's sort of two big twists. And so one of them is that Delta has been on Q team the entire time, um, just hidden from our point of view, and that who we thought was Q is actually named Sean. <laughs> and similarly, in Nirvana Initiative the twist is about the timelines being different from what we're made to believe. And so what sets these two twists apart is that they're only lying to the player. All of the main characters in these games are already aware of this information. So, you know, Mira, Eric, and Sean, they all know that Delta or Q is this old man that is on their team that is with them this entire time. They're all aware of it. <laughs> they all know that is just conveniently hidden from the player because of certain character, you know, certain camera angles. And because, you know, they think that this man is deaf and blind, that they never need to interact with him for anything. And, you know, there's a few things where, you know, people imply that, um, you know, there's this old man at DCOM, but you don't think of it at all, right? And so, you know, all of Q-team knows (laughs) about Delta being there. And also conveniently, everyone on Q-team knows that who we thought was Q is actually named Sean, Because once they reveal that his name is Sean, Mira and Eric start calling him Sean all the time, even though they never did that beforehand. And it's just like, oh, so you knew this whole time. You just conveniently never said his name in any of the fragments before this because that would have been a spoiler (laughs) that he wasn't Q. And so it's just lying to the player to lie to the player. The characters already know what's going on it's just hidden from us because then the plot twist wouldn't work it wouldn't work as well it wouldn't give you that big like oh what's going on i'm confused it it wouldn't have the same effect if the player knew this information as well even though it has no bearing on our main characters they're they continue as usual it doesn't have an effect on them there's no character development that has to do with the, these revelations Um, it's just there. They know and we don't. And so that's very frustrating. And so Nirvana Initiative is extremely similar, where all of these characters know how this timeline is progressing, what events happened when, and I would assume most of them as well know when they're interacting with Mizuki or BB, but it's all just conveniently hidden from the player to make the plot twist work. Now, I will say... (laughs) I think that Nirvana Initiative does do this better than Zero Time Dilemma, but at its core, they are very similar and that I don't like how those plot twists are done and executed. I do think Nirvana Initiative's twist could have been better, executed better, but I just, I'm not, I'm not sold on it, you know? It, it really does remind me of Zero Time Dilemma, where it just feels like it's a twist that's thrown in there, and... It just, it would have made more sense, storytelling-wise, just not have it be there, to just tell the, tell it in order. Or to just be clear, when you're playing as Ryuki, this was six years ago, this is in the present. It's just there to shock the player. It doesn't change the stakes. It doesn't change anything, really, for the characters and for the actual story. It's just a meta twist that, in my opinion, I don't think has been executed well yet. So... Man, it's just, it's always, it has these conveniences that comes with it where my suspense of disbelief, it feels like they're making me put too much effort, making me do too much mental gymnastics where it's like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Like, oh yeah, they totally would never acknowledge Delta in that chair or, you know, no one would ever say to Mizuki, oh, I know someone that looks identical to you or, you know, more implications about what year we're in. And I will say, both games do have foreshadowing. If you go back and play Zero Time Dilemma and even replay Nirvana Initiative for me, like I said, there is foreshadowing that implies that we're in, you know, different times, that we're, you know, it's it's Mizuki and that's BB or whatever. You know, it's there, but I don't think it's executed good enough, and I I just don't think it has to be there. (laughs) Because, uh, I've made my point. It doesn't have any effect on our characters or the storytelling itself. It just has an effect on how we perceive the story and, you know, the player. So to jump off of this idea some more, I think if they made Freyer more explicitly a character, this could have worked better. And so I kind of talked about this earlier with, you know, if it was Tokiko giving this explanation about the timelines rather than Mama and sort of directly addressing, you know, Freyer. Here's the timeline. Here's how you were wrong, or something. I think that would be so cool. But with Mama, it's just like she's talking to us as the player. She's not talking to Freya, even though they're the same person. Semantics, thematics, all that stuff. But, you know, I really love the ending with Tokiko and Freya that breaks the fourth wall and goes into the simulation stuff. Um, however, I feel like if the game put more of a focus on that idea during the timeline sequence, maybe it would have made more sense. Like I said, put Tokiko there instead of Mama, I think it it would just make more sense. (sighs) And I also think it would have been more interesting if during that explanation, you know, say it was Tokiko that was delivering it instead of Mama, if it could have been something like, however, Freya, you needed to experience the timeline in this way because, and gave us a reason. Because frankly, there isn't one as far as I'm aware of. It is just a plot twist for a plot twist. It is just to mislead the character or not the character, the player, because it feels like it's more for the player and not Freya. And if you made Freya a character that is the player, it would have made more sense. (gasps) I just think that would have been so much more interesting. And, you know, you could keep the meta themes and the meta ideas, but present them differently and to sort of make a character out of, you know, the people that are playing this game and say, this is why you needed to experience the timeline this way. I think that would have made more sense and you know it's just it, yeah it just feels unnecessarily messy and i think it could have been better so let's leave it at that <laughs> anyway <laughs> moving on from that let's talk about terror so i really like terror i thought terror was a great villain i loved any time that he was on screen i loved his get up his little outfit It reminded me a lot of Zero and Zero Time Dilemma. I thought it was great. But you know, also there's <laughs> in the Kusamon Go Somnium, there's just the poses that Terror is doing when he's like about to fight you. It's like really funny. Anyway, it's very flamboyant. I really like Terror. And I do kind of wish we got to see more of Terror as like Uru Sumizuki. Um, because I think he's one of the most intriguing characters, and honestly, same with Jin Furaway. I think that they're both really interesting, but I also feel like a big part of that is because we don't see more of them, you know, because we don't know much about them. And you know, we do get to sync with Terra, we do get to sync with Urusei We kind of get this idea that like he liked escape games, he liked Zero Escape, <laughs> and that um, what else and he has a mommy complex all these things there's a lot going on in terror's mind and so i did like that i did really enjoy that but i want i want to know more and i want to know more about jin Furroway, cuz jin Furroway, we really we don't know anything about you know we have interactions with terror obviously but you never you never get to see who jin is as a character and that's fine um i like the mystery and the intrigue of it it's just like oh you know it almost reminds me of renju in the first i the somnium files game you never get to directly interact with him you know you just hear about him from other characters and that was another thing that i really liked about renju so i do think that the mystery about these characters is a good thing because like i i'm very intrigued by it like it worked but i'm just like oh i wish i saw a bit more you know now, a twist that I really did enjoy was the half-body twist with Jin, with Jin Furue and Uruso Mizuki being all, like, fucked up together and Jakara messing with them. I thought that that was a very good twist because, you know, that affects the characters in the game, that affects the storytelling, etc., etc. I really liked that, and, you know, there is a lot of lead-up to that where, you know, they find the machine, you know, that's how they split the bodies in half... But then you can, like, put them together. You know, I don't know how much logical sense it makes, but it's fine. I can put some suspense of disbelief in that because I'm like, oh, like, you know, sci-fi or something. You know, it's fine. But I did, I really liked that twist because I remember when I was playing the game, um, you're, there's somewhere, I don't know if it's early on or maybe mid-game, we are at Iowan and someone mentions that there was this kid, Russo Mizuki, that went missing. And right away I was like, oh, that's terror. <laughs> Because it's just, it's such an uchi thing where it's, like, a, a random character that has a very small, you know, kind of side character that's actually the big bad type thing. And I was like, okay, I feel like that's terror. And I was I was right. I mean, I had the right idea, at least. <laughs> Didn't know how that was going to come together. But I was just like, you know what? I feel like that kid is terror. And I was correct. And I really liked it. And, you know, similarly, that I felt more earned than the timeline one. You know, the timeline one asks a lot of you, whereas I feel like the half-body stuff, that was just cool. You know, I really liked that. Another thing that I kind of predicted, I mean, not really, but kind of. The first time, maybe not the first time, but like very early on in my playthrough, when I saw the freezer in Brahmin, I was like, I, was ma- I started making jokes right away. I was like, there's definitely something in there because it, that just happens with Uchikoshi games and freezers, you know? You think in 999, that's where you have, like, these in-depth conversations. And, like, in the first Eye um, Monica is in the warehouse, which is, like, essentially a freezer, right? And so I was, like, right away, I was, like, there's definitely gonna be, like, a body in there, or, like, something. And especially because I wouldn't let you X-ray the freezer or, like, go in it or anything. I was, like, there's definitely some shady shit going on in this freezer. And I was right! <laughs> Uh, yeah that was a lot of fun when I found that out when they were like oh we got to go in the freezer I was like oh it's happening it's happening we're gonna see the body it's very great another thing so on the gameplay side of things I feel like reverse sync was underutilized I feel like it is such a good concept to be syncing into someone and then like they reverse sync on you that like I think if we get a third eye of the Somnium files game I would love to see that utilized more And you know, one thing I think would be really good, and maybe I'm like doing some predictions here, but like Uchi, if you're listening and you want an idea for reverse sync, (laughs) um, like imagine you have multiple playable characters again, you know, give us like Date, Bibi, Mizuki, Ryuki, whatever. And maybe we can have a moment where like Date needs to sync into Bibi or Ryuki needs to sync into Date or something to get information because maybe like... You know they're they're a suspect or something. But then what if you you know Ryuki is sinking into Date, but then Date reverse syncs with Ryuki, and then and then Date <laughs> finds out some shady shit about Ryuki that you know we weren't supposed to know, and that completely changes you know the flow of the game, where it's like oh we thought it was Date, but it's actually Ryuki, even though we were playing as him this whole time. Anyway, I think that would be a great idea. I think reverse sync is just so cool. It's a real shame that we only get to use it once in the entire game. It's Not really that useful. (laughs) I just think it's such a cool concept and they could do a lot with it. So there's going to be a third eye game. Please use reverse sync and make it interesting. But anyway. (laughs) I also really liked Marco. (laughs) BB's eyeball. Um, Uchikoshi actually like just confirmed on Twitter very recently that Marco is non-binary. So that's really cool. Love to see it. I hope if we get a third eye game that we get to see more of Marco, that that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. But I think, you know, talking about Marco and just the characters in general in this game, I think what really makes this game are the characters. You know, the first eye game has a really strong cast, but I think that this one is even stronger. (laughs) I really love them so much. And I've seen some complaints online about how the I1 cast didn't get as much attention as, you know, the new characters in this game, but I'm fine with that. I thought that was perfect, you know? I feel like a lot of their stories wrapped up very nicely in the first game, like Iris and Oda. I didn't feel like I needed to see more of them, you know, same with Mayumi. I was fine with a lot of them just being more like cameo type characters and not having too big of a role in the main plot. Obviously, Mizuki and Date have huge roles. Well, Mizuki does. (laughs) Kind of. I don't know. Anyway, I kind of get where the complaint is coming from. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I need to see any more of them. Um, The only characters I really was like, you know, I would have liked to see more of was, you know, maybe like Hitomi since there's some stuff with her and Date. Date Date's just being a fucking weirdo. Um, And Pewter. I feel like you don't see enough of Pewter. But like generally, I was fine. I, I enjoyed seeing the new characters more because it felt more fresh and I just felt like they were better characters <laughs> to be quite honest you know when I first played you know I the Somnium Files I, I Iris and Oda were pretty much the main characters outside of Dante. I would say and I think I mean Iris annoys me I, I love Iris but she's an annoying character and I don't think I need to explain how annoying and, you know, weird Oda is and why I don't really, I don't want to say I don't like him as a character, but it's just, he's one of those characters where he's like too realistic. He feels too real. That's like kind of uncomfortable. (laughs) And so I was fine with seeing less of them. And I think that, you know, the main characters they introduce here, like Kizuna, Lien, Genny, I think that they're all better. So that's just my opinion. I was Fine with the focus being more so on new characters than old characters. I thought that was great. I would have liked to see Date a bit more though. (laughs) Because you don't see him for six years, which is kind of funny because he gets amnesia again, which you know is like a funny bit. But at the same time, I feel like it it's weird from a storytelling and character perspective. It just because like here's the thing: he adopts Mizuki when she's like 12, right? And, you know, she finally gets this good parent figure in her life. But, alas, Date goes missing and gets amnesia again, and so he leaves her for another six years, and then Mizuki's by herself again. And it's just really weird, because, you know, I feel like a core bit of the first eye is sort of Date and Mizuki's relationship development, and, you know, them learning to accept one another, and, you know, have this relationship that's really wonderful and, you know, kind of makes you a bit emotional when you play the first Eye of the Somnium Files game. And so it does feel kind of fucked up that for, like, some storytelling convenience purposes, um, Date just fucks off for six years and then Mizuki's left by her socks. you really think about it, like, that's, that's not great. <laughs> like, even if it's not technically his fault, it's just like, oh, this feels like a huge step back in terms of, you know, the- their development, their relationship, it's, it's really weird, and I'm not a big fan of it, but, no, I am, I am being a bit nitpicky here, but it is a bit frustrating, but I did really love Genny, Kizuna, and Leanne, those are probably my favorites, um, my favorite characters in this game out of the new ones, um, I will say I did have an issue with Leanne at first, because he's 22 years old and proposing to high school girls, and that's, I don't think I need to explain that that's kind of weird. Even if she's 18, she's in high school. That's fucking weird. But anyway, we also don't technically know Genny's age. Um, It's not listed in like his character thing. It says unknown, but I think it's safe to assume he's at least the same age as Lian, if not older. And he's also in love with a high schooler. So um, that's weird once again. <laughs> That's another issue I have with this game. It's just it's obsession with high school girls. You know, you see MoMA and Oda being obsessed with Iris. But then, you know, it continues in this game where it's framed as serious relationships. Where the age gap isn't as bad, but it's still weird and a bit uncomfortable. Anyway, I am being a bit nitpicky here. But I literally think that they could have just made... Leanne, 20, and even Genny just say that he's like 20, 21. And, you know, it doesn't change their relationships at all. It just makes it easier to digest when it's, you know, grown men that, anyway, that are romantically interested in high schoolers. But one thing that really made Leanne grow on me was post time skip when, you know, Kizna is disabled and Lien really stays by her side. And I talked about this a bit on stream as well, but I feel like it is, and I've seen this online where it's so common that, you know, if you're married, if you're in a relationship, if a woman, you know, falls chronically ill, if she becomes disabled in any way, you know, if she's going through something physically that affects her abilities, um, it's very common more so. For men to leave their partner over something like that than it is for women. And, you know, I hate all men. (laughs) I'm exaggerating. It's fine. I know, uh, I think most of my listeners are men. So, Uh. (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, just generally speaking, a lot of men don't stick by their women partners when they go through something like that. And it really... I feel like it was really meaningful that Leanne really stayed by her and that he, you know, his feelings didn't change. He didn't, I don't think he really saw it as a burden, even though Kizuna was like in her mind about that, you know, about being a burden and, you know, feeling like I'm never going to dance again. You know, what am I worth if I don't, if I'm not able to use my legs and all these things, you know, it really, it really sucked seeing her go through that, to be honest. I'm just like, ah, like it doesn't have to be that way. Like, you can, you can love yourself and accept yourself with your disability, you know? And so it really, it really sucked seeing her go through that. But I feel like, you know, Leanne does help her with that when she get towards the end game and he helps her accept herself. And, you know, they just, they learn to coexist and be happy together. And it's actually really heartwarming. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't, Anticipate that at all? I thought I would just be uncomfortable by their relationship the entire time, but I really do like how it ended up going. I, I, it was, it was heartwarming, at least for me personally. I don't know, some people might disagree, but I did like how it turned out. Where, um, you know, it, it just feels good, you know. And while we're talking about Kizuna, half to the whole, such a good song. Um, (laughs) it's a good follow-up to Invincible Rainbow Arrow, in my opinion. I know, I think most people probably like Invincible Rainbow Arrow more, but I really like Half to the Whole. I love that song. It made me so happy every time I heard it. And that's the thing, like when I played the first Eye of the Somnium Files game, it wasn't until the very end that I liked Invincible Rainbow Arrow, because I remember it plays a few times in Iris' Somnium in the first game, and I was just like getting annoyed with it. I was really frustrated. But every time that Half of the Hole came on, I was just so excited and happy because, like, Kizna, she like, do her little dance. There's also, like, a point towards the end where, you know, Leanne and Kisna dance to it where he's carrying her and they're just dancing at Iowan. And that was, like, so wholesome and wonderful because I think prior to that, you know, after being disabled, she's like, I'm never going to dance again. Like, that was my dream. And It was just very heartwarming seeing you know them perform that song again six years later and you know Leanne's carrying her and she's like moving her arms and stuff and it's all oh, I loved it so much and of course the finale number was wonderful, <sighs> I really liked it I thought it was great I man I love musical numbers and video games. <laughs> Like, honestly, the whole finale was wild with the QTEs and action sequences. It was just, I talked about this earlier, but just good fan service in the best way possible. My favorite moment is definitely Q's with the Gatling Guns saying, come and get it, motherfuckers. (laughs) So iconic. So good. And they make you think that Ryuki is dead, but like, I'm like, I know, I know he's not dead. I know he's coming back for the final dance number, and I was correct. So... That was good. I imagine if they just killed him there and there's just, like, no dramatics. It was just, you know. (laughs) The other thing that I didn't want to mention in, like, the spoiler-free review that I'll mention here is that one thing I really liked about the QTEs in this game is that just sort of those scenes in general, the choreography of it all, everything that's going on. In the first game, when you get to the QTEs, it's pretty much just Date and some bad guys. It's pretty much just Date with his gun... And his porno mags, and Aiba being like, shoot here. And that's essentially what it is. Um, but I really like the QTEs in Nirvana Initiative because it's almost always like a cast of characters. Like it'll be like Mizuki, Ryuki, Date, Lian, like Genny. There's a bunch of people there that are all fighting and working together. And to me, that's like so much more hype than just Date with his gun and a few bad guys. And so, like, it kind of goes back to that fan service thing, but I thought it was just so much more fun and enjoyable to watch and to play as well. So that was a lot of fun. And Lien has, like, a fucking keyblade. That was hilarious. <laughs> I get he's a lockpick, but in my eyes, he's, he just has a keyblade. I will say, I, I did not like the Gen and Amame ending. I haven't gone back to it since the first time doing it. So, like, my memories are a bit fuzzy, I just remember it was like so weird and it's easily my least favorite I can say that for sure but it felt really messy all the other endings that you know are branching off like Shoma Komiji ending Kizuna Lian ending um they all feel coherent and they all feel um maybe maybe the Kizuna Lian is a bit rushed but if it not even rushed it just feels like it cuts off at a weird point but this one again a ending just feels rushed and weird and Bad and you know, really dramatic for no reason, it doesn't feel earned. And so, like, the end with Amame grabbing the gun and just being a dumb bitch, like that. At that point, I started to dislike Amame. I was like, I was okay with her, but then at that point, I started to dislike her because she like grabs the gun, it's like, What are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. And then Gen ends up dying. Gen was, like, one of my favorite characters. So I was just like, what the hell? Then he confesses his romantic feelings for Amame even though up until that point, they've been comparing their relationship to, like, a father-daughter, which, like, I never thought it was, but it is weird to make that comparison and then go back on it and be like, oh, I'm actually romantically interested. And anyway, it's just weird. <laughs> and i feel like it just didn't feel earned like it was really dramatic and i'm just like i know this is probably going to be like a bad ending i don't think it's like you know the core ending um it, it was just it wasn't good i didn't like it <gasps> i don't know how much of like a popular opinion or unpopular opinion that is why that's easily the worst ending and i didn't enjoy it but speaking of Mom a mommy girl got some girl boss energy <laughs> She murdered Terror. She was being weird the entire game. Like, it felt like every time we saw her, except for maybe, like, once or twice, she was always just being fucking weird. But I didn't expect her to be the one to kill Terror. Um, I didn't think she had it in her. And, you know, I think I would have preferred if Terror were killed some other way or by someone else for a different reason. Mostly just because I'm not the biggest fan of, like, revenge plots where, you know, you just kill someone to get revenge. Even if it is girl bossing, I'm just, it's not really my thing. But it also felt a bit weird and messy leading up to confronting her. Like, it, it was just like, oh, who should we go to that might have killed Tear? Oh, a Mame, maybe, because her Somnium was weird or something. I don't know, it was just really weird. And then you have Genny and Shoma kind of, like, protecting her and being like, no, no, no. It's just really weird, and it felt like, okay... Let's rush through this to figure out, you know, who killed Terror. Let's just rush through this Amame part so then we can move on to the actual finale and tie up this plot thread. Like, that's all it felt like. It just felt like, okay, we have to figure out who killed Terror. So let's just get this Amame thing out of the way. And then let's get to the real show with, you know, this thing in the stadium. That's all that felt like. And I, I just think, you know, meh. I think that the actual finale is a lot cooler. I think the terror is a lot cooler. I just, I don't know. I know a lot of people ended up liking Amame a lot. I wasn't one of those people, but whatever. I don't hate her. <laughs> Although I didn't like that get Amame ending, but anyway. So moving on, um, I really loved how nice was implemented in this game. So going into it, obviously, I'm, I think a lot of us had an idea that nice was going to be a core part of it in the marketing they were showing off you know Tokiko as the leader of the Nyes NICE japan division and hidden bats seemed to be implying there was something with nai's NICE. it was you know giving that sort of energy and i thought Tokiko was really interesting definitely very mommy um <laughs> i like Tokiko. i like her character design i like her voice actor as well just everything about her i thought was really cool i do wish we got to learn a bit more about order of the percent um, you know, the Chikara thing that's sort of, um, I don't know what the right word you would use to say, um, but it's kind of branched off from Gnise to be their own almost, like, religious cult, um, but it didn't seem to be too relevant anyway, so, like, I'm fine with it. Maybe we'll learn more about Order Percent in a third game, but, you know, I'm, it doesn't matter too much. That's just me being nosy and wanting to know more, but man, (laughs) the Neil number. So, when I first got to the part, where it's very early in the game where tokyo asks if you're a frayer i said yes (laughs) and i got to the part where you need to put in the number but obviously i didn't have the number yet and you know fun fact um, the nil number in each individual game is randomly generated. So my nil number will not be the same as yours. So there's like no way that you could possibly like Google and find that out ahead of time, at least not that I'm aware of, to figure out the nil number and get the diverge ending unless you finish finished the game and you know, seen the epilogue and everything. So I thought that was super cool. But um, I thought it was so interesting. <laughs> I thought it was really cool. And at the very end of the epilogue, when we got the nil number I freaked out because you know I'd been waiting the whole game because I was so you know when I tried to put in the nil number but then you know I didn't have a nil number and I just had to go back and she was like oh so you were lying to me it's like oh no but I am a frayer but I don't have that information yet and so at the end of the game when we finally got that and I went back and I put in the number I was like oh this is like so exciting I really liked that that was one of my favorite parts of the game I think I love when like the simulation sort of breaks and so you have um the bodyguard almost like t-posing and tokiko's like come and find me and you can just like no clip through the area and it's just so cool and you know you walk <laughs> while well, you run over and you're trying to find tokiko and you see her standing there with like almost like red flames it looks like like you just surrounded in red it's like her aura or something And I was, like, so scared. Like, that was one of the scariest parts of the game for me. Like, the only moment I remember being like, oh, this is weird. Like, I think it's just something about the meta commentary and just Tokiko as a person. And, you know, the red aura that she was emitting. Um, I was like, I feel like if I go up to her, I'm going to die. Like, I'm gonna go up and then I'm gonna get, like, jump scared or she's gonna, like, chase me. Or, like, I'm just gonna die. Like, I feel like I'm gonna die in real life if I go up to her. But anyway, it was scary, but I did it and it was so cool. <laughs> but anyway, I think those are most of my thoughts on um, the story. Hopefully, I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> it's going to be a long, long episode. Anyway, let's talk a bit about the Somniums. So Kusumongo was definitely my favorite Somnium. I thought it was so funny that So Sejima was a gym leader. And there's some really funny shit in that Somnium, by the way. If you use boss's blackmail ability on Sosujima, it does 999 damage, which is just hilarious because he's a politician. It makes sense. I thought it was funny. You can also unlock the secret Kusamon F, That's like a shadow of Falco from the first game. And he does infinite damage. It's fantastic. It's so much fun. I thought it was so good. That's easily my favorite Somnium. But I did also really like, the Gennie's. I thought that the aesthetics of Tokiko's Somnium was pretty cool. Um, what were some other ones? Chikara's Somnium wasn't, wasn't, like, great. But I did, like, the music. And Masked Woman's Somnium is another one of my favorites. Um, the music that plays there is, like, fantastic. Banger. Love that song. Um, there's some good Somniums. Also, Lian's Somnium, um, music-wise was really good as well. So, Another thing I want to talk about is I mean I guess this is kind of going back to story already but like not really it's more so anyway let me just talk about it. There is so many like pro LGBTQ+ and ally messages in this game that were truly so wonderful to hear and um it it was you know there's some one-off lines or file entries you know there's a file entry about the LGBTQ+ community and you know Tama and Boss have, you know, some offhanded, like, pro-LGBTQ plus lines, where, you know, Boss says, like, oh, she's my daughter, you know, she doesn't have any dangly bits down there, so unless she tells me otherwise, so it's, like, implying, like, trans rights, like, if she did say that she was trans, like, Boss would accept her, you know, it's stuff like that, which is offhand in there, and there are some LGBTQ plus characters, so, you know, you have Pewter, Mama, now we have Marco, even though that's, that was just confirmed on Twitter, Um, (laughs) but, you know, you do have some LGBTQ plus characters. It's also, like, heavily implied that Ryuki is fruity for Date, but, you know, we'll see about that. Um, but one thing that really meant a lot to me, and I kind of teared up on stream, I was, like, trying not to get emotional over it, was in the epilogue when Mizuki is at Marble with No Mama and Bibi. Um, she gets this full-blown ally speech about how she'll, like, stand up and defend all minorities. (laughs) And she really, she makes a point of talking about, you know, the LGBTQ plus community, disabled people, people of all races, you know, people that face oppression, and how she'll just, like, beat the shit out of anyone (laughs) that is, like, oppressing them. And, you know, I've, I've just, I've never played a game that had, a character so explicitly state those things and take that strong of a stance towards, you know, being an ally. You know, I think there are a lot of games that have, you know, pro LGBTQ plus or messages or, you know, just standing up against like oppression and minorities, all that stuff. You know, there's a lot of games like that that, you know, make a point of saying that, but I've never seen it so explicitly stated. In you know, using, like, the words that she does. And it was just, it was so good. And it also felt like a direct retaliation against some of the people that complained when the first I game came out. So, when Isomniac Files first came out, um, there's this part. I, I think they must have shown it off before release or, like, very early after the game had released. It had been online. Where there's a line that Mizuki says in the first game, um, in Marble where Dante asks her, like, are you, like, scared of Mama or something? And Mizuki's like, no, like, I have no problem with, like, the LGBTQ plus community. The LGBTQ plus community is filled with wonderful, creative people. And, you know, it's a very, it's a very good line. It's an iconic line from the first game. But, of course, there are certain people on the internet that were like, oh, like, go woke, go broke. Um, you know, politics. You know, putting up a fuss that a character said one line saying that, you know, the LGBTQ plus community is good, actually. (laughs) And so people made a fuss about it, unfortunately. And so this felt like, you know, Team Zero Escape just really standing up and being like, you know what? Fuck you. We're going to double down on this message regardless of what you say or think. And I think that is so cool because, you know, I feel like a lot of people would back down and they would, you know, dub themselves down in what they stand for. And so I think it's really meaningful. They were like, you know what? We love the LGBTQ plus community and we love people of all races and disabled people. And we fucking hate oppressors and we will beat the shit out of you. (laughs) Like, it it was just such a good moment because, you know, it's only one line in the first game that she really says But this was like a full speech in Nirvana Initiative. And, like, I was genuinely tearing up when, you know, I was seeing it. I was just like, this is, like, it's so silly, but it felt like it was so powerful, at least to me. I was just like, oh, this is, I didn't expect this. And it was very wonderful. So, thank you. Thank you, Team Zero Escape, for doing your best. I definitely do think that, you know, there are some things that Team Zero Escape could improve when it comes to LGBTQ+. Representations, but I definitely, you can see that they're trying, and that's something that I respect a lot. Like I said, it definitely could be better. Um, you know, I would love to see a main character be canonically LGBTQ, because, like I said, we have Pewter, we have Mama, and now we have Marco, but they're all side characters. I would love to see, you know, if, you know, if Ryuki is a main character protagonist in the third game, I would love to see, you know, his feelings for Date be less goofy, you know, less like, you know, I have a silly crush on him and just, you know, more explicitly state it, even if it's not reciprocated. Um, I do think that, you know, we do need more main characters that are LGBTQ plus, but I still feel like, you know, especially from games that are coming out of Japan, I feel like this is very, um, very good, very good. And I hope that they continue and I hope that it improves, And all that. I thought it was wonderful. And so I mentioned this earlier. Sorry, my notes are like all over the place, by the way. (laughs) So sorry that this review is like, spoiler cast is like hella messy. But... You know, you'll keep track of it. You're having fun just listening to someone talk about Eye of the Somnium Files, Nirvana Initiative, because there's probably only going to be, like, a few podcasts that you will ever find about this game because it is going to be very underappreciated and very underplayed for many years to come. So just, just enjoy listening to someone talk about it because you never know when you're going to hear someone talk about Nirvana Initiative again. Anyway, I mentioned it earlier, but the music in this game is really good. So some tracks that really stood out to me... Um, the song that plays when you're in Nye's the Nice office with like Tokiko, it just has this aura to it, where it's like do-do-do-do. I I that was a that was a terrible impression. But like, you know what I mean? no, I can't I you know what, don't try and do this again. Anyway, <laughs> it sounds really good. It's just very like atmospheric and it really sets the tone. Like it's just uneasy. And I really liked it. But my favorite track has to be Neurotic Inception. So this plays during Masked Woman's Somnium, where like Chikara is like green and it's like, oh, it's a banger. It is a banger. It's my favorite song in the soundtrack. I can't get over how good it is. Um, I think QWERTY said this in the Discord. It just scratches an itch in their brain. And that's exactly how I feel about it too. <laughs> so let's talk about the possibility for another Eye the Somnium Files game. So, it seems like Uchikoshi may be hinting at a third game in the future. So, as we all know, Uchikoshi is on Twitter.com all the time. <laughs> and in response to some fan questions just about Nirvana Initiative, he's been saying some things along the lines of third eye. And so, he's not saying like I3, he's saying it like third eye, like, you know, third eye, like that would be like, you know, your third eye on your, on your fucking head. Um, like not as in third ai but like third eyeball you know what i mean i i can't think of a better way to explain this t h i r d space e y e third eye <laughs> and he even linked a wiki page about the third eye to someone so um i'm not sure what direction they would take with a sequel but personally I think they should follow directly follow up and lean more into the simulation theory stuff with Nyes and Freyer, kind of like how Adam was saying earlier. Because I feel like there's a lot of possibilities here. And I don't think they should try and appeal to newcomers again, to be completely honest. Even though I see why they do that. I think um I think an I sequel would be more interesting if it does lean more into at least Freyer specifically as a character. Because I feel like you could even say that in the first game, there's some frayer stuff where it's like the branching timelines um, and even the simulation stuff that could be explained by stuff like that, but that haven't really paid off. And we haven't even really seen that much of a payoff in Nirvana Initiative when it comes to that. So I definitely think if they want to do a third one, they should just say, fuck it, spoilers for the first game and the second game and just go full out. I think that would be great. And I also want to see Tokiko be resurrected. <laughs> actually, there's one cool moment because you don't know about the timelines at this point uh, crossing over. But there's one point where you think that, you know, Tokiko is dead when you're playing as Ryuki for the first time because she dies pretty early on. But then that's obviously in the present, but you think it's six years ago. And there's a moment where you're playing as Mizuki where you think it's in the present, but it's actually six years ago. And so, um, you think Tokiko's dead when you're playing as Mizuki, and it's, you're in, I can't remember what they call it, but it's the area that was in the first game, and Tokiko shows up, and you're like, what the fuck, like, she actually resurrected herself, because you think she's dead when, really she's, she's alive at that point, um, but that was another really cool thing where I was like, ah, but then, you know, Diverge ending almost does imply that, you know, maybe there's something going on with Tokiko, even though that is six years ago, I know, Um, it just, it feels really cool. I, I, I want to see Tokiko come back. I think that she is so cool. And just, just like the thematic stuff around Tokiko and Nice and simulation theory, I think is really cool. So bring her back. Bring all of that back. If there is a third eye. And also, I want to see Marco. I want to see more of Marco if we get a third eye. There's so many possibilities. (sighs) Okay. I, I mean... I've said pretty much everything that was in my notes. <laughs> I probably have more thoughts on this game. I definitely have more thoughts on this game, but I think I got the most important ones out there. Um, <laughs> if you want to talk to me more about Nirvana Initiative, please. Um, we have a Discord channel in a Discord like thread within that channel for Zero Escape and I, the Somnium Files. If you want to talk about it there, I'm also you know you can DM me on Twitter. I love talking about this shit. Um, like I said, I'm still kind of forming my thoughts. I feel like, you know, once I finish my playthrough of like the chronological order, maybe I'll have even more thoughts about this game. But man, it's, it's really good. And I really loved it. Like I said, I have issues with it. But overall, it was such a good experience. And I think that if they did do another game, it could be even better. It could also be worse. But I think it could be really better if they really double down on some Freya stuff. And man... Man, it was, it was good. I hope you enjoyed listening to me just, like, scream about Eye the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative. <gasps> I've been waiting to do this for a long time. It's been a long time coming, so I hope you enjoyed listening to this and maybe, like, fangirling with me. <laughs> but anyway... Be sure to let me know in the comments what your thoughts on I, the Somnium Files, Nirvana Initiative is. If you are listening on YouTube, please let me know. Let me know because I need to know. I love talking about this. Moving on. Thank you so much for listening to the Luna's Galaxy podcast. It has been a long one. This might be my longest episode yet. So thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be back on Tuesday, August 16th, the next episode, where we'll be discussing who knows what. If you want to be a part of the Luna's Galaxy community, you can join our Discord server. Link is in the description. You can also keep up with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Twitch, where I'm at emilunagames. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye!